Beautiful.、Um, All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Oh my God! Did I just like? Did you break your、Very、microphone? <laughs> I, I did for a second. I don't know why my first thought was, okay, we need to make a loud noise, so I just and smacked it <laughs> on my laptop. But you'll get that. You'll know. <laughs> um.、But、yes. Hello for、back. the second time、Listeners. due to technical difficulties. We had, we had some technical difficulties, so I'm trying to remember how we did the intro <laughs> for the last one because we recorded everything, had some issues, but we're back. Yeah. And here and to provide、I'm, you content. I'm literally watching my voice notes now, so like if it stops moving, then we know we have a problem. Yeah, we're good. We we're newbies. Rookies, yes, but yes, yes, yes. we're learning as we go. Exactly. Bear with us through it all. Shit's gonna happen no matter what, and it happened to us、yeah. in our what third episode. So does that? I hope yes, that means we got it out of the way. You don't need to worry about it. I think、it. so. I think we're only gonna see good things now <laughs> from Does the Cat Die? <laughs> only good things. I, was gonna, I feel like what did we what did we talk about last time? I like feel like we had something really good, really fun to share. Is that the episode that we talked about our cats? No, I think that was. I think that was the third episode. I think this this episode currently is the fourth one. Shit, I don't even know. I'm not gonna lie. I've had a beer too, and I chugged that shit. So I'm slightly <laughs> tipsy. No, I don't remember. But I think. Well, who cares? Who cares? Yeah, this is a new. Yeah, new slate. Forget the old. In with a new. Yeah, and as we talked about in. The actual last episode today is a place that we both know very well. Too well, some、um, might say. As some might say that we were there for almost all of our lives, <laughs> but Nebraska, <laughs> good old middle of the country, Nebraska. I'm going traveling back to the homeland, and in this story that I yeah, have, yeah. which is、yeah. later on, and me but, too. Um. It's funny that we're recording tonight because at work today we were literally talking about how Omaha and Nebraska in general is portrayed in media. Like, did you watch? I'm assuming you did not watch The Big Bang Theory, correct? Nope. Okay, but you know who Penny is. You know the characters at least. I yeah, she's the blonde girl, right? Yeah. So she's from Omaha in、mm. the Big Bang Theory canon. And she talks about getting drunk in cornfields and people getting with their family members. And I was like, the drunk in cornfields accurate. The family、yes. members, that's a little more down south. Thank you. That probably. I will say that there was a couple towns <laughs> that I feel like it could have happened. The siblings, mostly just be, not siblings, but like, I think of like Wahoo, Nebraska. Where、oh, like、yeah. families just live and like die there, yeah. So you have to like double check if you're dating your cousin or not when、100%. you're in school. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like that. So not completely far fetched,、no. but also, oh, oh, listen, did you watch the Lover Stalker Killer on no, Netflix? No, I kind of want to. Oh my god, Jake and no, I. No, you have to. You have to. Jake and I are on a Kitchen Nightmares kick right now. Okay, I respect it. I respect it. But I respect it. We do need to like 
probably get into a new documentary. And I, I would watch that one. You know which one I will not watch? Because the case as which a whole one? just pisses me off. Is it American Nightmare? Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can watch that one just because I, like, know the premise of it. Same. And it's just, like, it makes me upset. Same. No. Like. That case just oh, makes me mad. But I will that watch. That one just Lover's fires me up. Okay, because did you know what takes place in Omaha? Oh, shit. Really? It was in Omaha, and it was just a couple years ago, and dude, when I tell you, it is one of the fucking wildest stories. I, like, I honestly, I might have to do it someday for this podcast, because it is fucking nutso. Like, if you are, if you like a good documentary, it's, I think it's only, like, an hour and a half. Like, I think it's, like, a movie, not, like, an actual, like, docu-series. Yeah. Fucking crazy. It's, again, it's one of those cases that I'm like, how the fuck? did i not know about well, this especially when it's so close to us and it's you like it's know not why? like a justice for mm. nebraska shit doesn't get n- never no. unless it's i guess the sydney no. louv case but because that one got pretty large media attention but and i think i think this one like occurred like i don't think it was like about the same time it was either pre i mean like, i don't know i feel like time to me now is like pre-covid and then covid Mm-hmm. because covid was like such like a disorienting yeah, time 100%. but i'm pretty sure that it was like pre-covid pandemic? yeah i think it was pre-pandemic but don't quote me on that i'm not really sure but i know it like took place at like one of those like weird times where like time did not feel real for a yeah. lot of us whether yeah. it was like right before the pandemic happened or yeah. like during, during or right after when like time was just like Lives meant nothing not to me yeah 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 but it happened like during some time like that and uh, which is assuming why like i probably didn't know that much about it because i'm sure covid was probably the raging t- was the raging yeah. topic there was nothing else happening yeah but it was oh my god it's i mind-blowing <laughs> it is so crazy like i watched it i you know i like a good documentary mm-hmm. i like some cases and i'm like what but this one had me being like what the fuck is going on? How do you get there? How do you get to that kind of delusional? <laughs> I don't know. I don't get oh, it. God. But it's fucking great. Highly recommend. But I know Highly what I'm doing recommend. with my uh, Friday night now. I'm glad I could help out. <laughs> you know? Take your small break from Kitchen Nightmares, which is also a great show. I just love Gordon Ramsay. Love oh, I love Gordon. I will I... say my cursing has definitely increased while watching it. I feel like my... My fuckings and my shits. Also, he throws in so many, like, ones that are never used, like, bastard and cunt. He's... I I admire the man. I really do. Deeply. Also, but not to... This is... Not to get completely off topic. But I watched an interview of him. I watched an interview of him on Hot Ones. And then I think he was on the Last Meal channel on mm-hmm. YouTube. And I watched both of those, and I learned so much about his life. I respect him so much more. I almost, I'm not there yet, but you know how Summer has a a little celebrity crush? We have a friend who thinks Gordon Ramsay is so fucking hot. Like, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I see it now. I think, I think it's a more of a mutual respect. You know, Maybe, Actually, you not know, mutual. He doesn't gaze, know who you know? I am. No, I get it. It's like a female gay thing. Like, you know you are seeing him more than just what he looks like now you're seeing his personality you're seeing where he's coming from and suddenly you're like whoa 
this man where are these feelings coming from i get it has got his i get together. it there are there are plenty of men out there that i've celebrities especially <laughs> that i've always been like never like barry whatever his name is from oh barry keegan Saltburn. for a good while i was like never and okay. then i watched Saltburn, and i was like okay <laughs> you little freak <laughs> so again not to get off topic i'll tell my story eventually we'll get there we'll, but, get, we'll get there um i watched it not too long after new year's because you and sarah were talking about mm-hmm. it and i kept seeing it on tiktok and i was like okay i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna watch this and jake was downstairs playing video games and i was like perfect thing to do on my own and i'm glad i did it on my own first because there were some parts i'm not gonna lie that were a little (laughs) dude it is it is one of those movies when i shout out phoebe we saw it in theaters together but like we saw it in theaters and we left being like what the fuck did we just watch and being like that was so nasty like you know like you know the scenes that we're like what the fuck and then literally i'm not even joking the next day we text each other and we're like but like it's kind of good though it's so good (laughs) complete 180 i thought about it more and i was like honestly it's kind of great i love unhinged characters same and two things um number one i made jake watch it on like saturday or something i think and he Mm. was so apprehensive because he's heard little bits and pieces and then he watched it and he was like that was actually a really good movie you never are bored sure like the plot doesn't really thicken until later into the movie but you're like wondering what's gonna happen so you're never like Mm -hmm. this is going so fucking slow but also yeah i feel like between watching horror movies between listening to true crime constantly between whatever else is going on in my fucked up head none of it really was like i mean he killed people yes but none of it really was like he did so yes spoiler alert i guess no yeah i mean you okay you had your time to see it ladies and gentlemen but none of it is so like it's gross don't get me wrong but none of it's so shocking that i was like what the fuck am i watching like i don't want to i think there was i think it was just like the she does the director emerald or whatever her name is Mm -hmm. does a fantastic job of like those scenes that they're not like so outlandish in terms of like what could happen in terms of like how disgusting terrible taboo they are yeah okay that sounds terrible because he did fuck a grave but like (laughs) okay but like but it was just like but like there are so many like old stories of like it's just the obsession i love a good Mm -hmm. person who's just like obsession controls them and they Mm -hmm. lose sight of themselves with that obsession Mm -hmm. and it's a great movie like i'm not gonna lie the first half of it i was like i thought this was gonna be like a silly goofy little academic you know what was gonna be and then like you know you feel sinister at some points you're kind of like what the fuck is gonna happen yeah but that fucking bathtub scene took me out and i think it's because it was so perfectly timed where you were like what's he doing yeah yeah what are you what are you doing get out (laughs) i think it's because she could have stopped at the like watching him like peeking through Mm -hmm. watching him but Mm -hmm. instead she was like no 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 Mm -hmm. get in the fucking tub and then from there and it was so long like it it could have i it could have been 10 seconds and i would have gone it but i swear to god it was 30 seconds of him going back for thirds fourths same with that name was full same with the grave scene it was so long like it was that i was like okay i've seen it i know that he like Mm -hmm. that he did that (laughs) it wasn't in the script he said said, pause i have an idea yeah can you imagine being on that set and being like what is what is that little man gonna do he starts fucking a grave you're like that little fucking freak he's a Mm -hmm. genius Mm -hmm. it's brilliant 
Oh, cut I love send. Barry Keegan. I love Barry <laughs> Dude, Keegan. he's become like he's become like one of those men that I like for a while. Like, because I think I watched him in Killing of the Sacred Banshees Deer. of No, he's in Dunkirk. Oh no, actually, too. I think it was no. Okay, no, no, no. It was in. Um, it was he was in Dunkirk. I remember Dunkirk, mm-hmm. but he was I was younger when that yeah, I first same. watched that movie. But I think it was Sacred of the Killing Deer. And so I was like, Ugh, I don't, you know, like, because he plays a character that obviously is a little, a little crazy in that one. And too. I was like, mm, I don't know. And then like this movie happened, and I was like, Oh my god, hi, hi. where did you come from? Also, when he looks up with those blue eyes. And oh then I think it was all the stupid little press that he did with Jacob Elardi mm-hmm. and stuff. And I was like, Wow, you guys mm-hmm. are actually kind of wholesome. I also, love and then I ate that shit up. Also, Jacob Elordi. I would think I, the movie he's is amazing. One that I, I didn't get it until that movie too because like I think it's because I had I oh my god we are going so off topic <laughs> well. <laughs> we can cut here and we'll move on but long story short is the like I one I liked Euphoria and he plays mm-hmm. a psycho in Euphoria mm-hmm. so like that was a turn off and I was like Ugh, I don't know if I could ever find you attractive and then I saw Priscilla yes. and he plays Elvis yeah, yeah. and he's too good yep. one at playing Elvis and one too good at playing a fucking dirtbag up terrible misogynistic yep, man yep. he's too good at it yep yep and so i was like i don't know if i could ever find him attractive like I'd, i'm sure he's a good person but like he's playing these roles that i'm like i don't know and then he put a fucking eyebrow piercing in him little little earring and too. give him a little y2k action and i'm like wow i'm in where have you been jacob where have you been um loved it since we're gonna cut here anyway i'm gonna say more uh did you see the, like, um, analogies slash metaphors, whatever, to, like, the way he dies with the wings, like, Icarus? Yes. And then in the maze, like, the Minotaur and Barry Keegan's wearing the antlers. I was like, oh, my God, I love this shit. There, I, it's one of those movies, too, that it's those, like, moments or those, like, little hints, like, how you actually see how everyone dies mm-hmm. at that dinner table after, um phoenix dies mm-hmm. and i'm like it's those subtle things that like even because i feel like some movies i i like to think of myself like because i like a little fucking creative like mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not artistic i don't get some of the deep meanings behind most movies yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. it was like you can pick up on it mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. not like obvious enough that you're like oh my god what the fuck like yeah. could you put it any simpler yeah but it's one of those that, like like i remember the moment that like um his like doppelganger yes! walks behind and i remember seeing that in theaters and being like oh my god that fucking man looked just like him and then i saw everyone was talking about like yeah that she put like a doppelganger to like represent like how in like the future he's gonna, he was die. gonna die and i yeah. was like oh, genius brilliant genius. the people love who her. make films are just amazing have you seen her other movie um promising a woman no but i want to i've seen clips of that on tiktok and i, I dude need to. it is i, love I already know the movie. ending I but i still watch it it's still such a good movie. Like, it is... She outdid herself. I fucking love that movie. So, movies I need to watch, um, slash things I need to watch. What is it? Lover, Stalker, Killer? Yeah. And Promising Young Woman. And I, I've seen clips of Killing of the Sacred Deer, but I don't think I've actually seen it. Although it sounds somewhat familiar. I, I, need to watch I it. saw it. I think it was... I don't remember it as much as I feel like I should, because I think it was one of those movies that I watched, like... Sometimes I'll go through phases where I'll just, like, watch movie after movie, and I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah. But then, but then I'll go through a phase that I'm like, I'm not watching a single movie for, like, 
weeks, yeah, months. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, it was, I think it was pretty good because I think it's 824. So, like, it was, it has it was pretty good. In. I don't think it was as, yeah, I don't think it was as, like, scary as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It's definitely one of more, like, the psychological. A little bit thriller-esque. But... Yeah, yeah. Um, Damn, we almost had a... your 20-minute intro. <laughs> Damn. Okay, so now that we're done talking about Saltburn slash Now that we've done, you've gotten the movie reviews, which will be our next podcast. (laughs) Stay tuned for the next one where we review things. Scary movies. I think that would be a fun podcast. Maybe we should do that for Halloween or something. We could do do bonus episodes where Mm -hmm. we just talk about scary movies. We just do scary movies, things like that, because... Lord knows I like them. I see. I watched I probably too movies. many. They're so good. Mm. I mm-hmm. guess. Well, before we'll get into it and then, you know, shout out to our usual homies who are listening, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. shouting us out. We appreciate you. We see you. We love you. Mm-hmm. And I guess Lena and I did this for fun and yeah, I, we're happy to know people enjoy it. I do know one thing that we talked about um, oh, in yeah. the last episode. We were talking about, well, we mentioned it in the last episode and then we talked about it more, Mm. but we were talking about doing one episode a month-ish. Maybe sometimes you'll get surprised with two, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. So, again, we have regular nine to fives and researching shit takes time. Julia's planning a wedding. Uh, yeah, your girl, your girl got a lot going on, but we've kind of come to like a regular like kind of a schedule, schedule now. Yeah. So, yeah, you guys can expect at least one episode a month. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be about the second week of like the month, yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, and then we'll kind of see. You know, if we have time, we'll always do more episodes. But just know we're gonna do at least one episode per month because this is something that we both are very passionate about and that we love and Mm -hmm. this is our little baby now and so we have to nurture it love it give it time (laughs) and so we don't want to rush things we got to take our time to it so but now you don't have to worry about when the fuck are they gonna post (laughs) you'll have a little bit of a schedule routine so set your notifications (laughs) um are you ready to hear my story again I'm ready. It'll I'm, be like the first time, okay? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It might be like the first time for both of us because I have not looked at this since I told it to you. Okay, because perfect. Because I was so I... irritated. No, I have to remember all the great jokes I had now because like I feel like some of them were good. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just going to wipe my memory just like, yep. like I'm hearing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't accidentally spoil it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we said, um... We are both doing stories in Nebraska this episode. Mm-hmm. Hometown murders. Um, and mine is... In- <laughs> I just love it. It's like, it's like our... What's the... It's like The Bachelor, like the hometown visits. It's But except for this... <laughs> it's Does the cat die? Hometown crime. <laughs> Things that just make you feel at home. These stories. Um, well, mine's in Lincoln, which is... You know, our college town place we college essentially town, grew birthplace. up. Birthplace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and today I'm gonna tell you the murder of John Sheedy. Not Shitty. I do remember making that yes. joke. Not Shitty. Sheedy. No. Sheedy. Say that five times. Shady Sheedy. 
Shady, shady, shitty. Shady, shady, shady. Shady, shady, shitty. Shady, shady, shitty. Shady, shitty, shitty. Oh my god. That's fucking hard. <laughs> if this man could see us now, he'd probably be like, "Will you just fucking get on?" With can you imagine? Story? I I really do think about that. Like, can you imagine if he's like somehow conceived in the afterlife too? He's like, girl. Heard someone say my name. Just deciding Who the to fuck do is his talking about me murder, and we're like, shady, shady, shitty. <laughs> say that six times fast. <laughs> he's just rolling his fucking eyes. <laughs> Well, um, the sources that I used today, I definitely mentioned this last time we recorded this. Um, the big one that I used was this article written by Timothy Mahoney, who it was through UNL, University of Nebraska Lincoln. Shout out to our alma mater, alma mater, right? That's what that means. What? Alma mater? I'm pretty sure that means... Like, the college you graduated from is an allegorical Latin phrase and used to proclaim a school that a person has attended or more more usually from which one has graduated. Yeah, or alma mater. Okay, okay, yeah, perfect. You scared me for a minute. I was like, <laughs> well, I just don't think I've ever heard it in context besides, oh, like, fair uh, like, a spelling bee. So, like... <laughs> fair enough. Honestly, <laughs> so. I spelled it wrong when I searched it, so... So kudos to you for whipping out that fucking vocabulary. Thank you. Um, But yeah, so it's an article written through UNL by Timothy Mahoney. It's called The Great Shady Murder Trial um, and the Booster Ethos of the Gilded Age in Lincoln. Um, Mm. This article covers literally, like, other articles I found essentially plagiarize this shit. Uh, Just go right back to it, probably. Yeah, yeah, it covers everything. Mm Mr. Mahoney then goes on to talk about how, like, crime and just overall the social, how society was changing in not only Nebraska, but the United States. Um, It's kind of interesting. So, like, if you're interested, I guess you can look it up and go read it. But that's mainly what I used. I used a few other ones. But um, on Sunday, January 11th of 1891, we're throwing it back. Because that's my shit right there. Mm. Gilded age. My Mm -hmm. shit. Um, John Sheedy stepped out his front door of his house on 12th and P Street. Again, I'm going to include all the street names because Because we know where the shit is. 12th Mm -hmm. and P. Been there. (laughs) I've walked out in that street. Um, (laughs) But he walks out the front door of his house just around 8 o'clock that night. And he was heading to his gambling establishment when a man charged after him, hitting him over the head with a leather-covered steel cane. Sheedy was shocked, obviously. He's just been smacked over the head with a cane by some man who he doesn't recognize. And he's staggering from the blows, so he pulled out his pistol and he fired numerous shots at the perpetrator, but he ultimately missed. Um... Mm. The man who attacked him would run back down 12th Street into the dark. Um, Mary Sheedy, John's wife, would hear the gunshots ring out, and she came outside to help her husband. Found him laying on the ground, helped him back into their house, into the parlor, and then she called the doctor and the police. And Dr. Hart and Police Chief Marshall Mellick, um, and another doctor who I think 
I don't know if he was like neighbors. He just heard the gunshots and he was like, I got to go over to the sheeties. He was just some random guy who was like, no, I'm a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can let me in. Yeah. No, I no, I should be able to see him. Don't ask for my credentials. I, I, I can handle it. No, I, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's two doctors and the police chief at the sheedy house. Um, the doctors wrap up his head because he's got a big old wound on it from the king. Mm. And the police chief questions him about the attack. I tried to find if he had anything to say about... If Sheedy had anything to say to Melik, the police chief, about what happened. But there's no record of that. Which, I mean, if man is bleeding from his head, there's probably not much he can say. Yeah. I'm sure there's probably, like, yeah. But also, where did they get the man part? That's a good question. You mean, like, the man charging after him? Like, how did he know it was Yeah, like, how did they, like, just a first... And, you know, you know, even back then, fucking men just think, you know... I mean, a woman could, (laughs) if she really wanted to. (laughs) We are a feminist podcast here. If a woman wants to kill (laughs) someone, We support women's rights and wrongs, okay? And we support that women could also do things like that. Because I'm just curious, because I was... Because I remember... I said, this is my second time hearing this. So, now I feel like this is a better discussion for me. Mm -hmm. Thinking about more the facts. Mm -hmm. But I remember you saying that, like, he... Didn't you couldn't find anything how he had anything to say about yeah, it? Yeah, but that it sounds like they already had like a biased opinion that it was like yeah a man. And maybe maybe um, Sheedy did recognize it was a man, and oh, then I guess, he I told. Mean, but there's yeah. no record of it. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's that's I mean, I guess it's true. You know. Also, I'm just curious. You know, where did they get that from? Um, you know who Theo Vaughn is, the comedian yeah. with the mullet. Yes. Hold on, I have to burp. Um, you saying that, that whole feminist women can kill too. Have you heard the <laughs> clip where he's like, I believe women should be able to kill one man a month. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to insert that sound here. <laughs> um, wow, I was just, I was just, just calling him out. <laughs> Anywho, so likely she probably told like, who knows? Who knows what was happening in the 1890s? Shit could have been whack. Yeah. Maybe he told the police officers that it was a man. I don't know. But the doctors give him some pain relievers for, again, the gaping wound on his head. And Mary gives him some sleeping powder in his coffee um, to help him okay, fall asleep. No, I, I know we talked about this the first mm-hmm, time, but mm-hmm. I'm so fucking... I don't understand. Why the fuck would you be like, that's like... No, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, okay, sweetie, you need to go to bed. So let me give you this fucking caffeinated drink <laughs> with creamer being your fucking sleeping medicine. Unless it's decaf, but do they even have decaf? And, but then I mean, no, they're, this is the 1800s. We're talking, I'm like, and you know, these are, these are built, people were built different back then. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're telling me that his body could handle that? Like caffeine, sleeping, like co-reacting in that fucking body? That probably... Well, spoiler mm. alert, he does die. That probably killed him on its own. If they gave him sleeping powders <laughs> yeah, in his he probably was like, what the f- His heart was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, it had to have been like... I mean, you know, like, all the memes and stuff that it's like... Stuff you could give an old Victorian child that would kill yes, them? Yes, yes. Sleeping powder in okay, their coffee. We're not talking about, like, a rage or, you know, like, how people we have today. Like, yeah. my body lives and breathes on that shit. Yeah, no problem. But, like... A man in the 19 or 1890s? No. That's probably how he died. Oh gosh, kind of shit. (laughs) No way his heart could take that. (laughs) So Mary killed him. Just kidding. (laughs) 
Mary gave him some sleeping powder in his coffee, which doesn't make any freaking sense. It would have been better if it was tea, honestly. That's what I mean. Is like, or like a warm glass of milk, water, anything but coffee. I would have taken alcohol. Alcohol would have made more sense to me. Like, wash it down with some like good old whiskey. Anything, anything else besides just a tall glass of fucking alcohol. Make like just a one thing of one drink of alcohol. I'm sleepy. Exactly. That's what I mean. Would have been perfect. I don't know. So, Different times, I guess. Yeah. Mary doesn't know shit, and she gives him the sleeping powder and his coffee. And maybe that's what caused him to suddenly be paralyzed in the middle of the night. Um, not sure. Mm-hmm. Or the gaping head wound. Really, it's half a dozen one way, six another. But There are a lot of factors here. Yeah. John eventually lapsed into a coma, and then he would die the following night. So, R.I.P. John. Sorry, John. Um... A little backstory on both John and Mary. John moved to Lincoln in 1869 from Council Bluffs, Iowa. Shout out, hmm. Iowa. Um, Do we have any people from Iowa? No, I, I just, I paused because I almost said future. idiots out walking around, but I'm not trying to eliminate any mm. listeners here. No, we, we have a, we are starting, we need to build our fan base, so Iowa, love you guys, you guys we are great. love you, Iowa. Yeah, thanks for joining. Corn capital of the country. But, yeah. <laughs> Sheedy um, quickly became a wealthy man in Lincoln, and he was a jack of all trades, some would probably say, because hmm. he was a real estate developer, he owned a hotel. He also ran an illegal underground gambling establishment located... Oh, Shady Sheedy. Shady Sheedy. Shady Sheedy. Um, mm-hmm. His gambling place was located on 10th and P for fellow people oh, who know Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, some sources also said that he dealt in prostitution, aka the oh. word we use now, sex work. But I don't know if that's actually true because like... Only one or two sources out of, like, the five or six I used said that. So, take that with a grain of salt. Um, but because he was making his money illegally and he was dealing in some shady shit, a.k.a. shady sheedy, he was arrested mm-hmm. multiple times and he received various fines. Nevertheless, though, he was still considered a part of higher society because he was wealthy. Um, and they kind of, the rest of high society just looked over why he was wealthy and the weird shit he was doing to make his money but um mary sheedy was a woman about town and although divorce was not normal or really accepted at the time she already had two under her belt by the time she met john damn she was that for her i know she knew what she fucking wanted feminist do what you need to baby um she was originally married to Horace McCool, but the couple would divorce after McCool was arrested for bad checks. Uh, then she would marry George. Oh, we'll get you. Catches up to you. Right? Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> have I been I there? Really knew- Let okay, me tell you. Listen. Yeah, I I, yeah exactly. <laughs> also, do you ever... This is probably going to sound so fucking stupid, but I really do think about it sometimes. Like, how do they hold people accountable? With, like, bad checks. Like, how did they catch him doing that? Well, I mean, they, they still have banks. Just, like, if you have... Yeah, but I feel like... If, if a check bounces today, 
Like, that's an issue. I imagine it's just, like, a check bouncing, right? Yeah, but, like, I feel like, I mean, now we have, like, the technology to, like, monitor all of that. That's true. Like, how'd they keep track? I don't know. Pens and paper. I don't fucking That's know. what I mean. It's like, was, I, I, you know, I need to d- do a little rabbit hole searching tonight of how do people write bad checks back in the 19- 1890s? Like, were they, like, was he writing different people's names on it? Was he, like, saying he had more in his account than he actually did? Because, think- like, how would that work? Because, uh, I guess maybe... Well, well just there like was a check no overdraw today. fees they were just <laughs> jail straight to jail <laughs> straight to jail you write check for 60 dollars you have 50 dollars you make jail <laughs> straight to jail like damn hardcore um i don't know i imagine it was probably mr horace was like i got 50 bucks in my account but i'm gonna write a check for 100 someone's gonna go try and cash it and then his name's on the check, so they know who to go to. You know what I mean? They're probably like, oh, okay, okay. You get yeah, what I'm you're saying? Right. But who knows? Okay, he could have been writing different people's names That's on what... it. Yeah, interesting. I have no idea. Okay, um, that was probably a dumb question. I worked a long, no, hard day, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, no, no, it, there are no stupid questions here. <laughs> there are no stupid questions on the does the cat die? For example, why did Mary put sleeping powder in a caffeinated beverage? And I'm sure some people are going to be like, wow, it's just one cup of coffee. I don't, still don't get it though, because there are some people I know who like have one cup of coffee and they're fucking wired. I I am one of those people. If I have caffeine, it doesn't matter how I ain't sleeping for a while. There's like, if I have coffee past like probably like 2 p.m., it does affect my sleep. 100%. I'm just curious. I'm what a drug. Like, what was what was what was your what was your thought process? We really can't get over it. I just I and people are probably like it's that's not that crazy, but it not is to me because I just can't imagine that like you have a cup of coffee in the morning because you're like wow I need to wake up in the morning, and there are just so many other options mm-hmm. like glass of milk. Literally, he was shady, shady. I'm sure he had alcohol somewhere. Well, he's running a fucking gam- gambling establishment. Hell yeah, he's got alcohol. And- if, if it's sleeping powder, does that insinuate that it was, like, a pill before? Could he not have just, like, taken a sleeping pill? Who knows? I have no idea. <laughs> I just... <laughs> really hung up on this. <laughs> just wait till we get to super complicated cases that have a lot more going on. Besides just a woman serving her fucking husband, husband whose head just got smashed in coffee and the sleeping powder. That can't be good for you. Anywho, back from the coffee. <laughs> back to it. So, McCool gets arrested for bad checks. Um, Mary marries George Merrill. Say that five times fast. And they moved from Abingdon, Illinois, to Lincoln in 1879. And their marriage was not a great one. And mm. although they were seen regularly about the town, including John's gambling establishment... A little foreshadowing. Um, it was reported that he, G- George Merrill would grab Mary by the shoulders and he would shake her and tell her that he could not live with such mm-hmm. a damned whore. And then he would... Oh. Uh, yep. Well. And then he would lock her out of the house and he ended up selling all their furniture and he returned to Illinois and left her behind. And because she is a woman in the 1890s, without a man, she is essentially destitute. So she begins to work at the Arlington Hotel in Lincoln, 
as a servant girl where she would meet John Sheedy, who was also living at the hotel. Um, they met between 1881 and 1882. And although her second marriage, or second husband, George, would return, and he and Mary would end up living together again for just a little bit, eventually he would gamble away all their money. He'd move in with another woman of ill repute. Putting that in quotes, mm. even though you can't see me, because why is that published in this article? I don't know. <laughs> but before, <laughs> but then he, George would eventually leave Lincoln for good and leave Mary alone. So at this time, Mary's about no, twenty-five years old. Yeah. Bye, George. We don't need you here. Um, Mary was about twenty-five, Mm-mm. and. John was in his late 40s, so keep that in mind throughout the story, I guess. And around the time that she would meet John Sheedy, she sued George for divorce, and she would move in with John at the hotel. They would move a couple more times during their courtship to different apartments on P and 10th Street, and then eventually the two would build a new house on at 1211 P Street, um... And that Damn, is, they fucking loved P Street. They loved That was P the Street. fucking place to be in Nebraska <laughs> or Lincoln, Nebraska, 1890s. I don't think we've gotten further from P Street. <laughs> Everything's happening just on this couple block strip. <laughs> like, if you're not on 10th and P, you might as well just not be fucking involved. <laughs> if you're not on 10th and P, get the fuck out. But, so they build their new house at 1211 P Street, and they move in. This would be the house, of course, of course where John would eventually die. Um, like I told you last time, I tried so hard to find pictures of their house, because I just want to see it. The 1890s house of I it all. I literally just, I was just looking up what's on 10th and P now, because I was just curious. Yeah. It's the gold building, mm-hmm. which was the one that was, like, just told tore down because i was trying to figure out if that was like around during that time yeah or if it was built after i think it was built after because i think it's Ew. like it was like a hundred years old when it was torn down so why we gotta yeah. tear down old buildings why can't we just keep the old buildings no it's a goddamn crime i know there is next time you're in lincoln there is a old house down by like 12th street area that is so mm-hmm. freaking cool they've turned it into apartments now so like multiple people live in the house but it's so cool so next time you're in town i'll show you because i love it so much <laughs> amazing i will buy it if i'm ever rich um anywho also take a shot every time i say um i've become very aware of saying um ever since editing the podcast no i am very aware of um and how often I use the word like sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to like physically stop myself most of the time. Uh-huh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right back in it. <laughs> in 1885, the couple would travel to New Orleans. And while they were there, some sources claim that Mary demanded that John marry her. Although, let's remember this article was written fairly recently but like also it's 1890s who knows if that's true did mary i'm sure that like the news that was reported or what was being reported may have been a little bit biased exactly 
because it's 1890s and women have no rights. No. Either way, no matter whether or not she said, John, you gotta marry me or I'm out, or they decided to get married while they were in New Orleans, they ended up doing it. And they would return to Lincoln as a married couple. Five years later, in 1890, Mary um, would travel to Buffalo, New York, and she was treated for a disease peculiar to women. We talked about this last time, too. What the fuck does that well, mean? Yeah, what does that mean? I have no idea. I tried to figure it, it out. And last time we talked about- Does that something to do with, like, with her, like, cycle or something? Like, it has to do something probably with, like, but it her says, period or some shit like that. But it says peculiar to women. So you would think that if it oh, was- Oh, peculiar just, to women. Okay. I was thinking, like, specific to women. Peculiar no. to women. Like, ra- women don't randomly don't get it. So, like- Interesting. Normally, I would think maybe she was, you know, maybe she was really stressed out. She was a little off her rocker. But that, no one would report that in the but, 1890s and, uh, as peculiar to women. Women were fucking No, because that was like, any time a woman spoke, they were like, you... F- you're fucking nuts. You need to go straight to the ward. Yeah. What do you think you're doing? Yeah. And I wonder, I don't know what it would be. I don't, I don't know either. Interesting. So, a little mystery that y'all can try and figure out, I guess. But... While they were in New York, Mary and John would end up having a huge old fight, and John would return to Lincoln, and he would leave Mary behind. So, Mary's left alone in New York, and she ends up finding a young machinist named Andrew Harry Wallstrom. I'm going to call him Wallstrom for the rest of the story, because he's got two first names, and that's confusing. So, Wallstrom. Mm -hmm. Mary and Wallstrom begin an affair. So, Wallstrom would end up moving back to Lincoln with Mary, and at first he would live in a hotel, and then he would mm-hmm. get an apartment on 15th and O Street, so he's not part of the P Street Club, but still, still kind of in the same area. Many witnesses would eventually come forward during the trial to testify about Mary and Wallstrom's affair. She was seen visiting him dressed as a man at times, but at others she was seen openly flaunting her affair. They would walk down the street hand in hand. She would bring him gifts, aka diamond rings, which seems pretty serious mm. if you ask me. And they're their, deep. Right? Uh, their affair would carry on for some time, and Mary would eventually begin talking of divorce in front of John to John, causing John to oh. fly into a rage. I don't know if you remember this part, but he would threaten to kill her, and as one witness put it, he was treating her badly. I feel like threatening to kill her and eventually... I think if they're... If he threatened to kill her and then, then they decide to make note and he was treating her pretty poorly, I'm sure some shit happened that they were like, mm, I... What? <laughs> well, so he threatened to murder her? Yeah. That's pretty bad, I would say. That seems pretty serious. <laughs> But not only would he threaten to kill her, he would place her under surveillance so he had people watch her. I guess she would just no. go on about her business day to day. Absolutely not. And then just, he... I don't... Divorce. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you want... I, I guess, like, you know, I'm sure, like, the social status of it all, I'm sure, like, that had an effect on it. Mm-hmm. But he's a man. Like, he can just, in that time period, he can just go do whatever the fuck he wants. Like, they get a divorce and it does not affect him that deeply. Like her being divorced does well and she's already got two on her belt what's another one 
And I guess she's the one asking for it. It's John that's like, fuck this shit. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he was like, you can't be thinking thoughts like that. Yeah. I'm the one who decides if we get a divorce or not. Exactly. Which is stupid, because I don't understand why you wouldn't, like, be like, yeah, because you're a man in the 1890s, Mm -hmm. running an illegal gambling business, real estating, building a goddamn hotel, whatever you're doing, you don't, you'll be okay. And you're like, how old? How much longer do you have to go, my guy? I mean, technically, it's one alert you don't. Because <laughs> he's already in his also, 40s. Like, you're gonna yeah. die soon. Well, and I guess you're going to get murdered soon. And you get murdered even sooner. So maybe yeah. you should have spent that time worrying about other things than someone else's business. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, just to put the cherry on top, he would also practically lock her in the house. Oh, my God. Yeah. I hate him. Real... Real stand-up man. Anywho, that's a little bit of Mary and John's backstory. I really fumbled through that, but we're going to whoosh back to the present, a.k.a. January of 1891. So, mm. after John's murder, the police chief, Melick, and a little sidekick officer would begin to comb through Lincoln for the man responsible. I called him a sidekick officer. The Robin o- to his Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I called him a sidekick officer last time, too. Um uh. Melick and his other officer would start searching Lincoln for the man responsible for John Sheedy's death. With everything I'm about to say, let's remember, it's 1891 in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we've seen it repeated in history so many times where people Mm. of color were often blamed by white people for many kinds of crimes. So, take everything I'm about to say with a grain of salt, just remember where we are, what time it is. So, the two officers found witnesses who, along with Mary Shady, claimed to have seen a black man around the area of the Shady house on that Sunday night when John Shady was murdered. And the description mm-hmm. um, given by those three witnesses, so two that they found down at the bars and Mary Shady, would match a man named William Monday McFarland. And I'm going to call him Monday for the rest of the story because that's a sick-ass name. I love it. It is. Monday was a barber on P Street and Mary Sheedy's personal barber who would make house calls. So with oh. the mm-hmm. okay. So with the news mm-hmm. that Monday was suspected of the crime, a group of white men would go and search for him and they had and this comes in quotes as well, the intent to take the law into their own hands. <sighs> 1890s Lincoln, Nebraska. But luckily, question mark, the police would find him two days later in a bar on O Street and they would bring mm. him into the station. This is where I'm going to pause on the really shitty part of the story and say bars on O Street. I love that there are still bars on O Street. The same places women have walked out with their bustles drunk as shit. I, I've also walked we out. We walked out. Yes, it's very true. I'm just. I do think about it. I think we talked about this last time. Like, mm-hmm. the idea of that, like, I hope they still had the cages back then of the fat toe tail. I hope the cages transcended time. So, <laughs> I hope that they were built there and they'll live there and they'll die there. Like, you cannot take the cages away from for, the people. <laughs> for, for those who don't know, first off, the fat toad on O Street in Lincoln, Nebraska is Julian I's favorite bar it's eclectic as shit there's all kinds of people there 
the name the, the fat toad. place I've ever been in, in my entire life. It is it's disgusting. Amazing. It is wild. It's fantastic. I'm pretty sure it's where I've gotten COVID a couple of times. Uh, it's also my Evan, love of my life, has also, like, he, I don't think I can ever, can ever convince him to ever go into that place ever again because yeah. we went one time and he got COVID and he was like, I got it from the fat toe. And I was like, you did not. <laughs> he did. <laughs> it is, it is, a, it's a grimy, nasty place. But the cages, it has my heart. just so people who don't know about the fat toad who've never been in the fat toad never experienced the rush that is being in that bar you've never you've never experienced being drunk at 1 a.m and you're like where can we go and you go to the fat toad you walk in you have to it's body to body you're pushing through trying to get back to that dance floor and then you see it two cages that are probably like two by two feet (laughs) yeah they're not very big bars and right just next to a the small DJ. little staircase. Yep, and you just go up like three stairs. That Above are the dance floor. Mildly narrow, by the way. And yes. then you get up there and you get in that cage and you just see a whole, not a very big room of people just getting down and dirty. Mm-hmm. It's a magical experience. It's really life-changing. We recommend everyone I've never felt closer to God things. than when I'm in the cage of the fat toad, honestly. <laughs> I felt I felt God <laughs> in this fat toad tonight. I feel I felt God so many times in the fat toad. <laughs> okay, and then they're playing like Pitbull, and you're just like, "Wow, this is it. This is peak. There's nothing could be better than this moment right now." Not literally marriage. Not giving birth to a child. Nothing, nothing will peak the fat toad. Nothing will peak. It's it's really a beautiful picture, and I honestly, you can never do it sober. Okay, you have to be at least six tequila oh, yeah. shots deep for you oh, to enjoy yeah. it. You could never do the fat toad sober. Oh, yeah. But it's a great time. 10 out of 10 recommend. Great time. So, <laughs> side note for all of you who are not from Nebraska <laughs> or from Lincoln, but just a little side note of that I'm sure that they had the cages back then, too, because you just, the people need cages. The people need <laughs> cages at the fat zone. <laughs> um, back to reality, unfortunately, although I would love to dream about the fat toad for the rest of the night. Um, mm. so Monday was a black man in the 1890s in Nebraska. The officers would end up taking Monday to the loathsome city jail on the corner of Haymarket Square. Shout out Haymarket Square again. Melick, so the police chief, and another officer named Malone, and the mayor as well, would lock Monday into a dark, airless, what is described as a sweat box. They would remove him mm. every so often to see if he would confess and eventually, after threatening to throw him to the mob outside that would likely kill him, he ended up confessing to the murder of John Sheedy. And he ended mm. up telling a very interesting story full mm. of love tea. that for Monday. Oh, I wonder tea. if he was like, okay, fine. If I know you'll believe, if I admit to it, I know I can spin whatever I need to. Mm-hmm. To, like, I mean, what else are you going to do when... If you're putting the situation out there. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we all know that for some reason, men across time have thought that they could torture someone in the worst way possible Mm -hmm. to get an answer that they want. And then when they get the answer they want, be like, I fucking knew it. I knew you did it. I called it. Like, as if not being locked in a room like that or being waterboarded for two days straight is not going to, like, 
pull anything out of you. You know, like, I'll say whatever you want me to, my guy. Yeah, as long as you fucking give me, give the fuck me out some of here. fresh air, yeah. But hmm. Monday would end up telling the officers that he had actually been coerced to kill John Sheedy by Mary. Plot twist. Okay. About interesting. Interesting. I can't say I didn't suspect it a little bit. But <laughs> about a year before the murder, John, um, who got his hair cut by Monday as well, but he would go visit Monday's barbershop, he would ask if Monday could come to their house to do Mary's hair. So come make hair or house calls to style no. Mary's hair. And they ended up doing a little trial run. Monday came to the house. It went fantastic. One thing described Monday as a charming, handsome man. So, of course, it went swimmingly. And they ended up yes. scheduling weekly house calls. According to Monday. Damn, weekly to get your hair done? I know. That seems excessive. Does your First hair even off, grow in a week? They can't. Fuck no. I think, I wonder if it, like, some of it is styling. I think some of it's got to be, like, uh, I guess I guess up. they had to have, because I guess we there's yeah okay that makes sense yeah um but according to monday one night mary would blurt out that her eight-year marriage to john sheedy was a scam and she would claim that john was more and more involved with gambling and was having affairs with other women she would continue to tell monday that of her crumbly marriage and Mm. her past during their house calls which eventually would lead to a head Monday claimed one night when he was trying to comfort the distraught Mary, the two ended up kissing, and in my words, they got it on. Oh, okay. Hot. Okay. He would show the police a locket that had Mary's hair inside of it. Okay. As I had a comment about this last time. Yes. How the fuck did they know it was Mary's hair? How do they know it was Mary's hair? If it is Mary's hair, Monday's her barber. He could have gotten that shit real fucking easy. Exactly. Like, how does that prove that, like, one, this woman can afford diamonds. Yeah. Okay? And she's like, here, take a locket of my hair. (laughs) Instead of this gift that I could give you. Here's a little snippet of my hair. Suspicious. And two, story can easily be fabricated because he's a barber mm-hmm. so i'm sure he's around hair all the time so he just has to find the right color and he just has to be, pop it in and be like this is this is she gave this to me mm-hmm. and also if he had that just laying around why because mm-hmm. i'm sure the police didn't just give him a chance to like go by himself to go pick it up exactly he was probably in the house with them so he had to have it just ready to go yeah yep 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 so which could work for him because again i don't know how likely it is that you would just have that laying around exactly well, and but he's, had, that's before DNA, so there's no way that they would be able to, like, test it and be like, this is, yeah, this is Mary's this hair. Is Mary's. But on the same token, he is in a jail cell. The fact that he has hair in his locket ready to go is... Oh, he had it in his cell with him? Yeah, he's at the jail, and they're interviewing him, and he's got this locket with this hair in it. He either is a fantastic storyteller, or this is probably, this may be actually very true. I know. But, which is... If that part, granted, the narrative is also written, most likely, by a bunch of white people, so who knows yeah, so. how much of the narrative is true as well, but mm. with that detail, it does seem somewhat believable that he and Mary at least yeah. had a relationship. I mean, I honestly don't actually doubt that part, even, like, a little bit. Do I believe that, like, 
she may have something to do with it or that she like put monday up to it i don't know yeah who who knows so he shows the police this locket of hair or this yeah this lock of hair in his locket and he claimed that despite the criminality of their relationship because it's again the 1890s in lincoln Mm -hmm. nebraska a black person and a white person could not date according to the law he was unable to ward off her advances and the affair would continue for a number of months so at this point Mary has two affairs going on, and she's also married to John. So she has an affair with Wallstrom, mm-hmm. the guy she met in New York, and an affair with Monday, her barber. Supposedly, again, according to Monday, Mary concocted a plan mm-hmm. for Monday to murder John, offering to pay him $20,000, which in today's money is a little over $6,700. 67 meaning 67000 <laughs> Uh, got you, got you. From what would be Sheedy's $200,000 $200, estate. Which, again, I feel like this isn't right, but his that would equate to $7 million today. I feel like there's a big See, old gap in this money. I wonder if it's, like, accommodating for, like, maybe some of his other, like, assets or something that yeah, would, like, go true. in with that. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, I guess he did own, like, a gambling business, like... Maybe there's, like, other mm-hmm. things coming from somewhere. Because there's no way that that math is correct. Yeah, I trusted like, Google on that the, one. And that much. The yeah, it goes 67000 Yeah. Yeah. Something's. But either way, money. Either way, yeah. she got a lot of money if John died. And she would pay Monday, Monday yeah. a little bit of it. So, Monday first originally turned down the plan. Because he didn't want to kill a man who can blame him. And Mary threatened to expose their relationship to not only her husband, but to the police as well. Because, again, it's illegal for a Mary, mixed relationship yeah. to happen. Mary's being shady. Shady shady. Uh, mm-hmm. So then Monday agreed at that point after being threatened. And he attempted two times previously to kill John, but was unsuccessful. That was when Mary decided to add poison to her husband's coffee. After Monday, would try a third time, a.k.a. the time John was killed. So, the plan was Mm-mm-mm. Monday would attack him, maybe purposely not kill him, who knows? Maybe the poison in the coffee was a fail I was say, they would have had to really, like, thought that out, that they were like, okay, so, like, if you beat him with this stick and you don't finish the job, I... Yeah, and maybe it was like finish a... The job. Maybe it was like a plan B. She was like, if you beat him and he doesn't die, then I'll throw some poison in his coffee. Well, I guess, okay. Okay, and okay. now I get it because, like, I understand that, like, if all this was, like, pretty much right after the murder, like, all this is happening. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure that, like, if it would have been that they never found Monday or, like, anything like that, I'm sure it probably would have been passed off that he, like, passed away from his injuries and yeah. that, like... They probably wouldn't be able to find anyone. They would have been. It would have been like kind of left open. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So I it guess would've... you know maybe there's Mary might actually be Loki genius to be like, listen, if you kill him, that's murder, but if you hit him, that's and then just I assault. just slip him a little sleepy, sleepy time in his evening coffee. <laughs> Not the then, coffee again. Then what? The goddamn coffee. Got hung up on it for a reason. It was my intuition. <laughs> well, <laughs> supposedly that was the plan according to Monday. Uh, because of this confession, the police would 
exhumed John's body where they would find evidence of internal bleeding, which is what they originally thought that he died of from his head wound. But they would also mm-hmm. find evidence of some poison, which would lead to the arrest of Mary. Mary's other man, Wallstrom, who she's also having an affair with, was arrested as well as an accessory to murder. On January 26th, both Mary and Monday were charged with three counts of first-degree murder and a charge of accessory to murder. Wallstrom was charged with four counts of accessory to murder, but his charges were ultimately dropped due to a lack of evidence. Yeah. Thank God I don't think Wallstrom was involved. Like, poor man was probably I don't. I think so, yeah. I don't think that, like, I mean, again, we don't know the full story and we never will, but from what I'm hearing now and information I've been presented, mm-hmm. I don't think anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. I think my man was just in love. Mm-hmm. Um, the trials are hella fucking confusing, so I'm not going to really get into them. I'll give you a synopsis of what haps- happens, mm. but there's a bunch of Lincoln politics. There's a bunch of stuff that goes on. There's no new evidence during the trial. Everything I've told you is essentially from Monday's interrogation with the police as well so it's just all like circumstantial essentially i mean i guess they have um some physical evidence but not like linked directly to correct to monday or mary yeah um so both mary and monday ended up being acquitted so neither of them were found guilty of any of the charges they received monday which i think this is so cute would go buy a new suit after his acquittal, and then he went to visit his mom in Kansas. He was like, I'm oh, the I hope he stayed there. I hope he was like, fuck these Lincoln bitches. Mm-hmm. Getting myself the fuck out. Same. Um, Mary would go to visit her mom in Iowa, but she would eventually return to Lincoln. She would end up meeting Max Burst, and the two were married, and they moved to San Francisco. I don't know if you remember this part, but this is what I found at the very end of my Mm. research so i was reading through this article i thought i had everything but i was like i'm gonna read a little further just to like see if there's anything i'm missing yeah and this is what i found i just think this whole part is a little suspicious a little Mm. bit of an interesting theory Mm -hmm. so john sheedy had a brother named dennis sheedy and he was a vice president of the national bank of colorado so he's also got some money. He's got he's got money. Mm-hmm. And he ended up coming to town to ensure that his brother's case was solved. He wanted to find the person responsible for killing his brother. He brought bless you, bless you, bless you. Oh, good lord! Apologize for that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, he. Ended up bringing two Pinkerton detectives with him, as well as a $500 reward for whoever was able to find who killed his brother. Dennis Sheedy would contact John Fitzgerald, who, before John died, was an adversary of his. But, again, Mm. Lincoln politics, it's kind of freaking confusing. It sounds like they might Uh, have made up... A lot of probably, like interpersonal relationships yes. that had nothing to do with anything. Yes, they all were yes. personal game. Yeah. But so it's a little confusing, but it's not John Fitzgerald and John Sheedy were adversaries at some point. They might have made up before John was murdered. Hmm. Either way, a little interesting. But Dennis Sheedy contacts Fitzgerald 
seeing if he has any contacts to lawyers who would help, be able to help him out with this case. Yeah. So, John died without a will. Probably because he didn't think he was going to go anytime mm. soon. But didn't. at that time, if you died without a will, half of your estate would go to your spouse. And then the other half would go to your siblings or any surviving family members. So, in this case, half of John's estate would go to Mary and the other half would go to Dennis Shady because he was one of yeah. the few of his living family members. But only nine days before John was killed, the Nebraska Supreme Court had ruled that the person could not take the inheritance of who they murdered. So if Mary ended up murdering John and she was uh, found guilty of doing so, mm-hmm. she could not inherit any of John's estate because essentially she killed him for it. Whatever. Yeah. So it's also, also fucking wild that it took them that long to like put that into place. I know. Also fucking wild like, that- People were murdering- like people and like getting their inheritance. Although I wow, guess if you're in jail, what a wild time to be alive. If you're in jail, then you probably can't do much with that shit. You know what That's I mean? That's what I mean. Is like you can't do anything. So like, what is the point? But also like, wild. Yeah, they they didn't come up with a law for like that long. And also wild that the law passed only nine days before John was killed. That that out of everything I'm about to tell you is yeah. what is very suspicious to me. That it was such a I also agree with that because, like, there's no... Obviously, like, Mary had to have been fucking aware of that. So, yeah. like, there's, she would have gotten nothing from... If they were found out, like, she would get nothing from mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interesting. So, that law is passed. Dennis would then receive the entire estate if Mary was convicted. And a week after the murder of John Sheedy, Fitzgerald was appointed by the county court as the co-administrator of Sheedy's estate, along with Mary. So Mary and Mm -hmm. Fitzgerald are both essentially in charge of John Sheedy's estate and what happens to his properties, his money, etc. Throughout the whole case, both the case, the trial, the whole thing, Dennis and Fitzgerald were continually involved through it, almost suspiciously so. Like, they were very controlling of what happened. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, Mary, even though she was not convicted of the murder, she was given very little of her husband's estate after she was acquitted. And she would continue throughout the rest of her life to ask both Dennis and Fitzgerald for more money more stipends because she would she would get a small stipend of the estate but she did not get that much mm-hmm. throughout the rest of her Which life it also feels like really fucking like shady to me that they managed to get away with that like i yeah. guess you know i'm probably they had probably something to do with it she was a woman or some shit like that mm-hmm. but it bothers me a lot that like she was acquitted so like lawfully she should she get half should have gotten half of that money yeah but didn't yeah and she would ask the rest of her life for more. She would do. It, she would take them to court. She would do it just outside of the court, and they always told her no. So I just find that it's very interesting that Dennis and Fitzgerald were a in contact after John Sheedy's death. B, they both, if they had outside motives, they both were ex- successful in those motives of getting control of mm-hmm. John Sheedy's estate because he was yeah, freaking yeah. wealthy. So 
Who knows? No one was convicted, so I guess it's technically unsolved, but... I was going to say, I would say it's probably technically unsolved because we don't really know how much of the evidence is actually true. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, most of it is circumstantial. Like, they have some of the, like, physical evidence, but there's no way to positively or, like, at least 100% prove that, like, without a reasonable doubt that she had taken that Mm -hmm. and put it in his fucking coffee before Mm -hmm. his little nighttime sleep. Yeah. Because also, even if he had poison in uh, his autopsy after he was exhumed, it's also the 1890s. There's poison in fucking everything. I was going to say. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, let's not even talk about, like, <laughs> throwback to episode three. <laughs> you know? like Shields green dye. Shit was everywhere. Yeah. There was Ugh. just arsenic in your food, lead in your plates. Like, there was, it was everywhere. So, and like he had to, like you said, he had to sustain some pretty serious injuries. So there's no way to even prove that the poison actually killed him and that it wasn't his injuries and that maybe like the poison would have maybe killed him later, but he died first from that. So technically she would have not actually killed him, killed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Juicy as shit though. It is. I, yeah. I can't imagine what it'd been like to be back because like, you know, murders like that since it was before like this time or like even like the 80s with like the media things like that mm-hmm. that it was just like such like hearsay of like people gossiping and like yeah. the town square people in the town square gossiping <laughs> about what happened <laughs> what happened on page straight <laughs> like i just imagine this like women whispering in corners like did you hear oh yeah he did shit was fucking and, like scandalous. all this speculation mm-hmm. yeah and there's no way that the jurors on that trial the trial were not <laughs> I mean, did you have a jury trial? Yeah, and they were all men. Yeah. That, well, fucking red flag number one. Yeah. Red flag number two. There's not a single chance that any of them were not biased in their opinion. I mean, she was acquitted, so obviously, but it had to have been just, like, by the court's laws, which was that, like, there was not sustainable evidence to, like, prove that she had done it. Yeah. And, but also, it's a jury of white men, and they also acquitted a black man, which I also found incredibly surprising yeah it had to have been that like that was the only evidence you know actually kudos you know what kudos to them for not being jury you know what i i appreciate you yeah yeah god bless you for seeing reason Mm -hmm. instead of letting your other you know like biases direct yeah at all because honestly i'm it could it should have it probably would have gone the other way and like probably any other like if there was a different set of jurors it probably would have gone the other way yeah 100 percent. but yeah wow Ta-da! Well, and it recorded shady this time. shady yes shady shady stop i don't have anything else to say about you shady, shady. <laughs> honestly you kind of sound like a shitty person not that you deserve to be murdered but no but like you do your wife better her. homie but like yeah like you that shit ain't hard. That's all I'm gonna say about Shady. Yeah, it's not. It's not hard to be a decent person, actually. No, really not. Or to just respect women. Really not. Well, welcome back to my story. But um, this is gonna be a long one. Um, I thought about maybe mentioning we cut it in half, but and do two episodes. But we're just gonna full send it because people listen to it in chunks, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, so we'll mm-hmm. just we'll just full send it. Mm-hmm. And because if we don't record it now, who knows when we will. 
So accurate. We're doing it. And I put too much hard work into this, you know? And so little background for this is that Lena kind of mentioned it earlier, but I'm just going to jump into it because I wrote a whole ass introduction, okay? Get the people going, you know, catch your interest, see how you're feeling about it. So we'll just, we'll just dive in real quick, okay? So many Americans have the popular vision of Nebraska as simply a state of flat fields of corn and soybeans that stretches from border to border. Most people who have any interaction with Nebraska or have ever been have probably just driven through it, and that is all they've seen. And in 1957, Lincoln, Nebraska, the capital, was the heartland, was, okay, the heart of the heartland of America, okay? So, like, you think Midwest is the heartland, and Lincoln is the heart of the Midwest, okay? You don't know heartland until you go to Lincoln. (laughs) You don't know heart of the heart, fucking heartland of America until you've been to fucking Lincoln, Nebraska in 1957, okay? It was safe. Doors were left unlocked. Cars were left with their keys in them. Kids walked to school for several blocks by themselves. It was just a safe place, okay? The whole American dream of, like, you know, or I guess American vision of just peaceful, kind people living, no fear, you know, everyone was kind. It was a safe place. And crime in Lincoln was mainly small time, like, there was only seven murders in the last 10 years. So from 1947 to 1957, there was only seven murders. Um, and most of them were solved. But on December 1st, 1957, in the morning of, in that more early morning, the body of 21-year-old Robert George Colvert, the night attendant at the local Crest service station on Superior Street, would be found having taken two shotgun blasts to his head, dead. Mm. Robert was a newlywed and expectant father and had been working at that station less than a month. He was working the 11 p.m. shift to 7 a.m. And the murder was a big deal in the peaceful city of Lincoln. It was the third killing in Lincoln that year. And the other two killings were, like, point solved right away. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a father who had killed um, his daughter and then a woman who killed her husband by beating him with an iron. So, like... This was the first, like, unsolved. And right away, police just assumed that it was a robbery gone wrong and it was possibly a transient. And so kind of days passed, case would go cold, but the death of Robert Colvert was the first of 11 murders that would leave Nebraska in a state of pure... 11? 11. Damn, I didn't think it was that many. All right. Charles Starkweather is thought to be the first mass murderer of the modern age America. Charles, along with his young girlfriend, Carol Fugate, who may have been a possible accomplice, would lead a manhunt across Nebraska into Wyoming and in a week creates a widespread fear and panic that Nebraska had never experienced before. And the events may have dropped from America's consciousness, but the crimes committed changed the course of America and scarred an entire generation. So... Like I told Lena to begin with, listen, I did my best to put this shit together. Um, I would like to thank, or most of my resources was from the book Starkweather, uh, The Untold Story of the Killing Spree that Changed America by Harry McLean, which is a fairly new book, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is not a lot on Charles Starkweather. But I did my best to kind of piece things together from both this book, the own research I did when I wrote a paper on this shit and 
senior <laughs> year of my high school and kind of put it together. So we'll just dive in and we're going to start. We're just talking a little bit about Charles and who he was. So Charles Starkweather was the third child of Guy and Helen Starkweather. Also, what a fucking name, Guy. I was going to say, no one names their kid Guy anymore. <laughs> Guy? It's, it's, it's so outrageous. But Charles was born on November 24th, 1938. His father, Guy, <laughs> worked as a carpenter while Helen worked as a waitress and they were just like a working class family. Um, Charles attended um, an elementary school in Lincoln and he was heavily bullied due to his bow legs. He had bright red hair and he also had a speech impediment. Um, he was never a behavior problem at school and was noted by teachers to have like considerable like artistic talent. And so as he grew older, kind of dealing with the bullying for everything like that, he kind mm-hmm. of developed this, well, if I can't like, you know, grow out of it, he was just going to decide that he was just going to be a fighter. So he started to excel in physical education, just became known for his reputation as like a fighter. Like his, before he even went to junior high school, people knew who Charles Starkweather was and they knew that he could, he would beat your fucking ass if you like looked at him the wrong way. Like he kind of developed this like chip on his shoulder. He was willing to fight anyone and everyone. So there were plenty of like accounts of Charles demonstrating his rage, upholding to his reputation, and he was known not just to hit someone, but he would hit hit them until they hit the ground, and then when they were on the ground, he'd hit them until they were like left, Jesus. like someone would pull him off. Like he, his brutality left an, quite the impression on his classmates. So and red flag yeah. from the beginning. Oh, we. This is yeah, yeah. Like this man didn't just have a chip on his shoulder; he had a whole ass boulder. Like he was like, <laughs> "Look at me," and I'll. And so, like by the end of eighth grade, it was not just like the school and his classmates that like recognized his reputation. All of Lincoln knew that like he who he was basically essentially because of like his reputation yeah. as being this like kid who just wanted to beat ass, like basically. <laughs> so, but um, he would actually meet his best friend named Robert Von Bush after they ended up in a fight that ended up being a draw and so like they had this oh. huge fight because they were known as being the like the the fighters of the school they had it out ended up in a draw and they ended up becoming best friends okay yeah. literally the if first maybe not the first enemies to lovers but, but that's what I'm saying is like if Charles wasn't a psychotic murderer you know this would have been be kind of cute. cute yeah but we love a good bromance but no. And so they became friends and Robert would note that so one of the big characteristics about Charles Starkweather that a lot of people recognize is that he kind of took on the persona of James Dean and mm. Robert his best friend would note that Charles was like James Dean before James Dean was James Dean like he had a striking resemblance to the actor and he had known to be always be smoking kind of wore his hair thick like you know combed back and after, like, the movie Rebel Without a Cause came out in 1955, Charles just began to, like, idolize James Dean. Gotcha. And he adopted Gene, or excuse me, Dean's, like, live fast, like, die young kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. And, um, let's see here. And so, Robert, he was also known as Bob, but I'm going to call mm-hmm. him Bob for now because, as we know, that Robert was also in the... There's a... Okay, listen... 
50s man everyone used the same goddamn name no there is probably like 15 roberts in this story so i'll do my best to kind of like make sure you know which robert i'm talking about but bob but there's best only one bob. guy <laughs> there's only one fucking guy but let me tell you so many goddamn roberts but um best friend bob <laughs> was would start dating barbara fugate in 1956 oh, and okay. most of their dates barbara's younger sister carol would tag along which was never really a problem bob always noted bob, best friend bob always noted that carol was actually a really great time he had never had anything against um carol and so mm-hmm. one night bob invited charles to the movies with him and barbara and carol mm-hmm. and for Charles, it was all over from the very beginning. She fell hard and fast right away. Carol was 13 years old when she met Charles, who was 18 years old. Ooh. And only a few weeks after, it, and I know this was a different time, but now that we're older and we recognize things, we know that this is, and it would classify as statutory rape. But yeah, because um, if they were sexually active, we don't really know for sure or not, but whatever. It still was creepy. Yeah, all that either way. Um, but only a few weeks after their kind of like initial double date, Charles and Carol began to spend almost like every evening and weekend together. Like they became inseparable. And Carol Ann Fugate was born in July 30th, 1943. Her father, her biological father was an abusive alcoholic and convicted pedophile. And so... She grew up in that household, and then there was a whole incident where um, Carol's father actually, like, nearly killed her mother. And so, Carol's mother, Velda, in 1951, filed for divorce. And so, Carol, Velda, and Barbara would move. And in 1954, Velda would meet Marion Elliot Barlett, and they would marry. Um, And then they would move to 924 Belmont Avenue. And okay. with this, Carol's life kind of began to stabilize because Marion turned out to be, he was kind of a um, hard ass, but he was like mm-hmm. so much better than where she came from. And he was actually mm-hmm. like a very stable figure in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carol was never known for any behavior problems at school and was known to be intelligent, but very quiet. Um, she was also known to kind of have this rebellious streak because she was known to like curse up a storm. And like back then- okay. You didn't curse as a woman. Like, it was no. just, like, very unladylike. And she yeah. was known to, like, come up with, like, words that, like, people didn't even, like, recognize. Like, she... Oh, shit. Carol cursed like a fucking sailor. Okay. And she often preferred to dress in, like, men's shirts and jeans and kind of, like, had this kind of, like, rebellious style about her. Mm-hmm. And she was known to be, like, amazing with children. And her father and stepfather would actually have a child together named Betty Jean, whom Carol said was said to be very fond of and would love helping taking care of her so and her so, dad oh my god you probably just dad. heard that burp that came up in my throat i'm so sorry we are <laughs> burpy we tonight <laughs> the goddamn lacroix they catch you my guy um so, anyways you were wait saying. uh her dad remarries and has a kid or her Right? Her so dad. her stepfather. So her, so, um, okay. Marion Barlett. So it's Betty Jean Barlett. So her new, like, stepfather, not her, her, I think her, um, abusive or her, like, her biological dad ended up actually, like, going back to prison. Oh, okay. Um, 
so later on and he ended up like dying in prison or something i don't know so Vel- velva and her stepfather had a baby yeah velva okay. and um marion had betty jean together so like it's because it's because his name is marion i keep thinking that's a woman but no I, yeah no Marian's, i got you yeah yeah gotcha okay yeah um and so when carol and charles kind of began dating her stepfather disapproved of the match and thought that charles was too old for carol and charlie's yeah he was (laughs) charlie's mother helen noted that carol had some sort of hold over charles and while they were dating he became more violent with his brothers and just thought that he was kind of acting different and so charles ended up dropping out of school in the ninth grade and began working at a newspaper warehouse and would eventually save up and like buy a car and he would actually take this car and he would teach carol how to drive um but this car was bought with his father so it was kind of like still his father's car you know like it was kind of like split custody of this car okay gotcha and so when he was teaching carol how to drive at one point she actually ended up crashing the car and a fight between charles and guy his father broke out which ended up in charles's like banishment from the family home and so charles would like he would eventually kind of like you know smooth things over with his family but he would move out and he would then leave his job at the newspaper warehouse and begin working as a garbage man and i think he was actually fired from the newspaper warehouse but there wasn't any like clear exactly what happened okay because this is But, um, started working as a garbage man, and it was kind of this time that Charles began developing kind of this, like, life was meaningless worldview. Like, believing that his current situation was, like, how he would live the rest of his life. Like, that he would never amount to anything, and kind of felt this need to kind of acquire power over others, because he kind of always felt like he was going to be this low life, essentially. Sounds like um, someone needed therapy. It, yeah. And so it's kind of at this point that he kind of begins, like, plotting, like, bank robberies. robberies. Like, when he's on his okay. routes to, like, during work, he's, like, mm-hmm. thinking about all these things he could do to get money, things like that. And kind of settled on this, like, personal philosophy that dead people are all on the same level kind dead of deal. people? Yeah. Okay. And so, and Charles had always been around guns and he actually like Mm -hmm. treasured them so like charles Mm -hmm. loved three things in his life it was guns his car and carol like those were those were his that was all he needed in life and he would state that guns gave him a power that nothing else could match and there was a story where his brother robert um another fucking robert brother robert (laughs) would talk about how they would go hunting on a family friend's farm named mm-hmm. august myers mm-hmm. and they would like hunt rabbits and there were several times where charles was known to like empty his entire firearm on one rabbit like Jesus he Christ. overkilled to the max okay yeah. no, plenty of red flags are popping up here yep, ladies yep, and gentlemen yep, yep. and so while he's like kind of developing this new like world through he's kind of like dealing with all this like hatred loathing with like himself others mm-hmm. all this all this shit he would like practice drawing his gun in like the bathroom mirror he would become obsessed over comics and shows like with cowboys and the fiction kind of started to become kind of a reality for charles and charles would then begin having these like nightmares and he had a dream that 
death like came for him in this dream and he thought that this meant death had marked him and eventually would be coming with him like coming for him okay and with that he would no longer have to deal with like the taunting and the loathing and kind of like developed this like blazes of glory you know like Mm -hmm. the outlaw kind of like mentality Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he stated that carol exactly and he started carol would often actually like appear in these dreams as well and he had this like vision that she would like ride into the blazes with him and like i think one of the reasons charles became so like infatuated with carol and like why you know this was like such like a toxic mash in a way is because like carol fits so nicely into his like new paranoid alienated like worldview Mm -hmm. and kind of just like reinforced because like she loved his bad boy reputation Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. girlies love a little bad boy and you know he was he looked like james dean he was this like you know smoking leather jacket wearing like he had this persona and carol loved that about him and so it kind of reinforced that like you know self-imposed like exile from mainstream society like you know Mm -hmm. all of that and so Mm -hmm. instead of kind of like quelling any of like starkweather's kind of like murderous things that he was like thinking about his like romance with carol seemed to kind of like drive him over the edge in a way kind of like convincing him that the end was near that he had to take action soon you know and so in charles's mind carol had and I'm going to start referring to her as Carol Ann just because um, there's another Carol involved later. And it'll just okay. be easier if we kind of do Carol Ann. Yeah. And so Carol Ann had finally given him this, like, something worth killing for idea. Okay. And so it seemed, you know, like the, all these these dreams and this new perspective on life kind of led him to believe that fantasy outlaw would soon become real outlaw. Okay. <sighs> And so, on the afternoon of November 30th, 1957, Charles drove to best friend Bob's house and took a 12-gauge shotgun from his garage. And here's the thing. I, there was a lot of conflicting what happened this night. Yeah. But I'll kind of tell what, like, I had always read and then... I'll kind of come back to, like, what could have possibly happened or kind of, like, throw it in there. Just so you guys know that, like, there's... We're not going to ever really know what happened because this is before Saturday cameras. This is before anything happened. And it's kind of just all what Charles kind of told. And so... um, Charles would pull into the Crest service station and that evening at 3.30 a.m. And he would enter the service, like, station and Mm -hmm. purchase cigarettes and a pack of gum. There is supposedly some stories that evidently he had credit at this station and he was trying to buy, like, a stuffed animal or something. And Robert Colvert, who was working that night, kind of Mm -hmm. told him no. And that pissed Charles off. But I could... So, all we need to know is that Charles was fucking upset about something and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. psychotic at this time. So, he was like... Okay, so he would then drive away and then return, but leave again when he saw that there was, like, another car at the station. He would kind of, like, drive around, and then for a few minutes later, he would return, pull a bandana over his face, and enter the service station. He would then kind of, like, toss a bag at the attendant, Robert, and Mm -hmm. 
tell him, you know, like, he was robbing the station, put all the money in the bag and all of that. And so he would mostly get like coins, small bills. And then like after, you know, he gets this bag back, he has Robert, he like takes Robert out at gunpoint to his car and he has Robert drive his car just outside of Lincoln city limits. Okay. It's there. He would then shoot Robert point blank um, using the shotgun he had taken from best friend Bob's house and would leave the body on the side of the road. And so Charles would initially then like toss that shotgun into the Salt Creek um, river or kind of yeah. like um, creek that runs through yeah, yeah. Um, that side of town. <laughs> I know what later creek act- you're talking about. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> the one that stinks. <laughs> yeah. And then he would actually like later return and retrieve the gun and return okay. it to best friend Bob's house. Without and- Bob knowing any of this. Yep, Bob okay. had no idea at this point. I mean, later, um, we'll get to it, but, like, Bob okay. is not as idiotic as, like, you know, he wasn't as, like, he was aware of things, basically. Yeah, yeah, he had some yeah, suspicions. Yeah. Okay. And so, the murder gave Charles an extreme sense of power. And when the case went cold, his eager his ego only got bigger. And so, he would report that the murder made him feel whole, his nightmares and headaches were gone, he felt that killing made him feel good and it helped just like further kind of create this like fantasy into reality for him you know like this outlaw he's got nothing to lose like you know yeah this like james dean live fast die young shit mm-hmm. and weeks would pass after the murder of robert and as we kind of discussed in the beginning that like the police assumed that it was just like a transient someone passing through yeah. and that they like you know they were long gone it was a robbery gone wrong um there would you like so the case would go cold and there was a buzz of fear in lincoln for a while because you know an unsolved murder but there was no real panic and soon life went back to normal okay and then on january 21st 1958 starkweather went to the fugates house so carol fugates house two days earlier he had been there and Carol had told him to not come around anymore and that she didn't want to see him again. Mm. And so Charles was fuming and was kind of like this conversation was eating at him. And so okay. he would stop at best friend Bob's house again and borrow again one of his guns. And so Same one or a different one? Or we don't um, know. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know guns either. So like yeah. there's a couple here that like I got what like the name of the gun was but i don't really know what kind of gun it is yeah, fair enough. um but i think that it was a rifle okay um that he stole this time and here's where um she gets crazy okay and this is also where there begins to be two narratives to each kind of murder because okay. at this point carol becomes involved And like I said at the beginning, possible accomplice. So there's two very distinct sides of like what Charles says happened and what Carol happened said happened. And I kind of go through both and we'll kind of go over it a little bit at the end. But just to kind of give you because this entire case is built on the testimony of what they said. You know, this is very early days and there's not a lot that they have to go on except for like Mm -hmm. exactly for like what happened because they only have like what Charles said and like what carol said so we'll kind of go through both of them but charles states that he entered the home and an argument would ensue between marion and himself charles would state that carol was home during the events and that during the argument marion attacked him and he shot him using the rifle he had borrowed from best friend bob's house 
Carol's mother would then attempt to attack Charles with a kitchen butcher knife. Um, but Charles states that Carol took the rifle from him and told her mom that she would blow her to hell if she even tried it. So then Charles would take the gun back and kill Velda Barlett by shooting her point blank in the jaw. Jesus. Charles would then use the butt of the gun to smash in Betty Jean's head, killing the two-year-old girl. Oh my yeah. god. I Marian did not was... know that part. Yeah. And Marion was thought to still be moving, so Charles took out his hunting knife and then began Fuck. to stab the man several times. Jesus Christ. And so Charles then states that then they kind of, or that Carol said they needed to clean up. And so Charles said, well, I'll take care of the bodies. And he stored the bodies in a kitchen or excuse me, a chicken coop and an outhouse that were on the prop in like the background of the house, like in, excuse me, backyard of the house. Jesus. Back there. He states that after they hid the bodies, they would clean up some more and then they would just sit on the couch eating snacks and watching movies together. You disgusting couple. Yeah. Now, Carol... On the other side of things, so her perspective on this, mm-hmm. what happened was that she would state that she was not present for the murders of her family. She says that she had been at school all day, but when she returned home, Charles was there in her living room with a gun. And he had told her that he had taken her family hostage and that she needed to do everything he said in order to keep them alive. But after that, regardless, the pair would remain in the house for several days, kind of they would end up, like, taping a note to the door stating that everyone was sick for the flu, everyone needed to stay away. But, of course, that would only last for so long because people started to come knocking. Mm-hmm. And one of those people was, um, let's see here, uh, Carol's grandmother. Okay. Um, she would stop by and she would urge and, like, you know, like, begin to question, like, what is happening, Carol? Mm-hmm. And Carol would tell her that she needed to leave because if she didn't, mommy would be in danger. And so once Patsy, which is the grandmother, kind of stopped by, um, you know, suspicions were growing and Charles kind of like realized they needed to leave Lincoln. And so Charles and Carol would leave Lincoln on January 27th and head southwest of Lincoln towards Bennett, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. There, Charles planned to meet up with his friend August Myers who I kind of talked about beginning, um, go into a little bit more, but Charles had known August Meyer since he was a boy. His father, Guy, used to take him to August to hunt squirrels, and he would eventually kind of use the property for hunting and kind of continuously go back there and use the property to kind of do that kind of thing. And so Mm -hmm. August was 71 years old, and he was one of seven children, and he was known around Bennett to be very soft-spoken, and he had recently retired after many years of farming and so when charles excuse me charles and carol arrived to august's home on the late evening of january 27th um it was january so if you've ever been to nebraska in january snow ice if it's melted it's muddy it's gross it's disgusting and so august had not cleared his driveway and so when charlie and carol and his car tried to get up the driveway. They actually ended up sliding off the driveway into the ditch several yards from the house. And so Charles loaded his rifle and took the butcher knife he had taken from the Carol Fugate's home mm-hmm. and the pistol that he had, like, stolen from... Because evidently, Marion had a gun, so he stole his gun. 
And so, loaded up all his fucking arsenal and made his way up to um, August's house. And he was going to say, you know, I'm going to ask August to use his horses to pull the car out from the road. Mm -hmm. And again, this is where the narratives start to switch up. And so, Charles claims that right before they made it to the steps of the house, August came out of the door and Charles told him they needed his horses to get his car out of the ditch. August agreed and made his way back into the house, returning with his coat. An argument would then break out, and then August went back into this hide the house, but this time returning with his own gun and tried to take a shot at Charles. August would attempt to take another shot, but his gun would jam, and so Charles claims that he charged the 71-year-old man and shot him in the back of the head at point blank. So, he then dragged a rug out, covered the body, and then ransacked the house. He took August's, like, pump twenty-two firearm, and evidently, he stated that the idea came to him several days prior that he would go out, kill August, and steal his new rifle because his rifle, August's, like, new rifle did not need to be reloaded after every shot. So we can already kind of see this man had a long-term plan of, like, going out Blade of Glory like he was going to be firing shots the whole way down. Yep. Okay? Yep. And we'll also see this narrative of that, like, everyone was out to get Charles. It was Mm -hmm. all self-defense. People charged at him first. Yeah. Okay? Bullshit. And Carol had a different perspective, obviously. She said that there was no argument. That they arrived at the home and August answered the door and Charles immediately stormed him instantly and shot him point blank. But, again, after the events, uh, after the murder, Charlie and Carol worked together to try and get the car out of the ditch, but they had no luck. Okay. And so they ended up walking down the drive and began hitchhiking along the country road until they saw headlights. Now, we're going to kind of go a little bit back in time couple hours and then go back to lincoln and okay. so in back in lincoln carol's grandmother called the police about concern that her daughter velda whom she had not heard home from several days as well as concern about the conversation that she had had carol that morning about yeah. like her saying that like her mom would be in danger if she didn't leave and so police arrived to the residence on january 27th late afternoon they entered the home through a window that had been left open and in the home, they found nothing, so they ended up leaving. Are they you didn't f- stick around? And so, um, this is where it got a little confusing for me because it says that Charles's older brother is the one who notices damages to the gun that Charles had borrowed to murder Robert. Mm-hmm. But again, he borrowed this gun from best friend bob so i don't know oh, if this yeah. was like a community fucking shelf that they were just all taking guns putting yeah. back but or if they put regardless the is, robert yeah who knows but long story short is that basically one of the roberts whether it was robert stark whether or best friend bob robert mm-hmm. um they like kind of like contacted each other and so best friend okay. rob kind of shared that he actually had a lot of concerns about his safety because um he had one mentioned that like he hadn't heard from carol's family but there was also fear because bob he thought that so bob ended up marrying barbara fugate so they lived together married each other and there was 
concern with him that Charles had found out that they were trying to get Carol to end her relationship with Charles and begin uh-huh. dating someone else that they had in mind. So okay. already again, red flag that you're, you want your friends to end a relationship and they think you're going to come to their house and fuck them up, yeah. you know? Yeah, so, you shouldn't be scared at that point. But again, so then he had concerns that he had not heard, you know, from Carol or Charles. So they decided to visit Carol and her family. And when they arrive, they, again, notice, like, no one's coming to the door. And so they decide to just kind of, like, wander around the building. And one of them ends up checking out the building near the back of the home. And they find the dead bodies of Betty Jean, Velda, and Marion. And so they quickly called the police. And so six days after um, Betty, Velda, and Marion had been murdered, an 8PB finally went out for Charles Starkweather and Carol Fugate 5.45 p.m. that evening. And again, this was the same evening that Charles killed August Meyer 20 miles away. And the night that two more innocent lives would be taken. And so kind of back to where we were in Bennett, Nebraska, Charles and Carol continued hitchhiking Mm -hmm. when two young teenagers stopped to offer the couple a ride. Um... Robert Jensen, who went by Bobby, um, was the president of his high school junior class and the star of his high school football team. He was known for being extremely kind and had been going steady with his high school sweetheart, Carol King. Carol King was a high school junior as well. She was a cheerleader, member of the church choir, active member of the future homemakers of America, and was just very active in her community. But the two would be out on a date. Yes. They're a power, power couple. They were. They were the it couple yeah. of high school. Oh. And they would be actually out on a date. And so keep in mind that, so, this January 27th was a Monday. Okay. It's kind of just important for no, to know, like, the train of events, but it was yeah. a Monday. And so him and Bobby and Carol King were out on a date when they noticed two young. Because at this Good time, record. Charles is 19. Yep. And Carol is 14. So, yeah. okay, just keep that in mind that yep. still young. So, like, they see this young couple and they think, okay, you know, let's offer to give him a ride. So, mm-hmm. they pick up Charles and Carol and Charles would bring his fire out arm out on Bobby and, like, basically, like, would hold them at gunpoint and have them drive to an old storm cellar that laid abandoned right beside, like, right outside the town of Bennett. Um, there Charles would lead both Bobby and Carol King to the cellar and order them down the steps. Charles claims that they made it their way down the steps and then Bobby ran up the steps directly at Charles, charging him. Mm-hmm. Charles then fired several shots at Bobby until he fell back onto the cellar floor dead. Charles then claims that he became scared and tried to take off in the car that, like, Bobby had been driving. Yeah. But it became stuck, so he had Carol guard Carol King in the cellar while he tried to get the car unstuck. Mm-hmm. He claims he then heard a gunshot and claimed that Carol shot Carol King. And, of course, Carol states that she had stayed in the car the entire time during the murder of Carol King and Bobby Jensen. Okay. And, um... Carol and Charles, like I said, guys, what happens, what actually happened moving forward, 
Carol mm-hmm. and Charles would then take Bobby Jensen's car and once again hit the road, but this time heading back towards Lincoln, Nebraska. And so it, it's, it was an interesting choice. Um, but by the evening of the 27th, Bobby Jensen and Carol King's family became increasingly anxious when they realized that both of the kids had not made it back home that night because it was mm-hmm. a school night. Mm-hmm. And Bennett was a small community. And so Bobby's father, who was Robert Sr., by the way, again. Oh, my God. So many Roberts. But um, take, a t- take a shot every time I said shady, shady. And take a and shot every time, every time someone's Julia name says, is Robert. Yeah. <laughs> so what does he call him? Bobby's father. Okay. Um, but he began to call not only the local authorities, but as well as just locals in general, hoping to see if someone had seen his son or his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And one of the local men that he would talk to would state that he had seen Bobby's car passing his neighbor's house, who happened to be August Meyer. And so... The next morning, January 28th, authorities and locals began the search for Bobby and Carol King. When they arrived at August Meyer's house, they would find the car that matched the ABP for Charles Starkweather's car. And so police quickly ascended the house. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they wouldn't find Charles, but they would find the body of August Meyer's and soon receive a call that two more bodies had been found at the old storm cellar. Oh, my God. And so... When they kind of, like, arrived, they would find that the body of Bobby Jensen would have been shot several times. And the body of Carol King had also been shot and that her pants and underwear had been shoved to her ankles and her sweatshirt had been pushed up, revealing her chest. And so... Can I ask you a question, then? Because yes. I wanted to know the answer to the question. But because of that, Charles' story is that Carol Ann killed Carol King. Yeah. Do you, I'm assuming you believe Carol Ann's story over Charles Starkweather's story at this point because of how they found Carol King's body. Yeah, just, yeah, because I think there was, I don't know for sure if they ever actually confirmed that, like, um. There was sexual abuse. Yes, but, again, with how the body was found, I, and we, yeah, I, I think that at least for this story, for sure, that. Um, I don't think Carol had any involvement in the, yeah. we'll get into all that. Cause I got, I got some things to fucking say about that shit. But anyways, <laughs> that, um, but yeah, well, just to say that with Carol Kings, I think most people knew that Charles yeah. was the one who killed her and yeah. was probably just trying to make himself out to be this, like, I don't know, people, innocent? I don't know. You'll, you'll notice Somewhat a very innocent? big pattern. Yeah. That like Charles is constantly like someone charged at him. I kind of talked about it earlier, but it was yeah. always like someone coming after him. And I think at one point he said to police that like, well, what would you do if someone came after you? And like, just, shut the fuck up, Charles. Okay. You're not a victim, but buddy. It's yeah. And so while the police were dealing with this, like additional three more murders, the same, like, you know, 20 miles away and the day before they had just discovered three more you know like three mm-hmm. bodies like body mm-hmm. counts up to six and so yeah. police are in bennett and they're just like trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and that same day charles and carol made their way back into lincoln and they kind of made their way into what's considered kind of like the wealthy section of town and charles so there's also a lot there's not a lot on this if like we know how he had a connection to august myers and we know 
how like you know bobby jensen and carol king got into the picture yeah. but we don't know how he knew this next family or why this family was chosen okay okay but when they made their way back into town he would park his car in the driveway of laura and clara ward and laura was 48 years old and he was a lincoln native he had graduated from the university of nebraska studied law at harvard and sat on the board of numerous business boards for local businesses and clara had also graduated from the university of nebraska and was very involved in her community her church Mm -hmm. and she served as the vice president of the nebraska alumni association the highest position that a woman could hold in the organization at the time go bucking clara so we have another power couple we have another fucking power couple and the wards also had a maid her name was lillian fensel and she had been working with the wards for 26 years she had actually worked for laura's father and so like ended up working for Mm -hmm. um clara and laura as well and she was known to be like incredibly sweet and incredibly kind Uh, people or excuse me kids around the neighborhood knew her because she would always be baking treats for them and she was also partially deaf and she lived in a room at the ward's um estate Mm -hmm. and so at you know 8 a.m the morning of january 28th so keep in mind this is when bodies are being discovered in bennett and yeah they're about to break into another home and so charles parked the car and taking his now new pump 22 made his way to the back door of the house of the wards and knocked on the back door lillian would answer and would be held gunpoint at charles would hold her at gunpoint and he would actually notice that she was partially deaf and so they would start communicating through like a notepad and he would ask her questions and mm-hmm. one of the questions you know anyone else in the house and lillian stated that miss ward was upstairs and would be coming down for breakfast and he would tell Lillian to wait until Mrs. Ward, like, made her way downstairs. And so, when Mr. Ward, or excuse me, Mrs. Ward made her way downstairs, she would see that, you know, there was a man with a gun. Yeah. And he would end up holding both women at gunpoint, saying, like, you know, don't worry. He wasn't going, he was just going to stay the night. He would leave in the morning. No one was going to be hurt. Charles then claimed he kind of, like, let, it was weird, like, he kind of, like, let them go about their like daily routines like he was letting miss ward like eat breakfast he like when miss ward asked if like lillian could like do the laundry and iron it he said yes and so like it was just this like kind of just like sat in on them doing their day-to-day and so he claims that mrs ward then asked if she could go upstairs and change her shoes and he agreed but when she was gone for a lot longer charles went to investigate and found that mrs ward had a rifle and fired at him Charles then pulled the knife from his boot, threw it at her, hitting her in the back. And then when he took the knife out, kind of, like, dragged her body to a bedroom and just, like, tied her up to a bedpost. So she stole And then, supposedly. So, again, keep this this in mind. Because this is all his account. Yeah, this is all his account. Supposedly, he hit her, but that, like, she was still, like, coherent, evidently. Um, and that... He then went to, let's see here. Oh, he then went to get Carol because Carol had just been napping in the library the whole time. Oh. And so they would then tie up the maid in the basement. And then he kind of like was like, okay, I'm going to prepare the car for getaway. 
but then returns inside to decide to wait for Mr. Ward to return home. And so when Mr. Ward arrived, Charles would claim that he told Mr. Ward they just needed to tie him up and that, like, you know, no harm would come to him. Nothing was going to happen. They just needed to tie him up. But Mr. Ward charged at Charles, so he fired at Mr. Ward. And Mr. Ward was not hit. He actually ended up missing. He kind of, Mr. Ward tried to make his way upstairs, and then Charles shot him in the back of the head. And so Charles then claims that next they just tied the maid up and in the basement and just left her there. Stole a whole bunch of food and whatever they could find, shut off the lights, and once again hit the road. So... He claimed that when he left the ward's house, the maid was alive for all he knew. Now, and, and that um, Mrs. Ward was still alive. And that Mr. W- he could not confirm that Mrs. Ward was dead. Okay. And for context, um, the police would discover Mrs. Ward and the maid had been stabbed several times brutally. Okay. But Charles claims he had when he left the maid was alive and that he that he had hit mrs ward but he had supposedly like bandaged her up so you know what again brain of fucking salt there's something even more irritating about someone who is a serial killer who thinks they are just so fucking smart and like that's what i mean is what an arrogant piece of shit that's what piece of shit that's what gets me about this guy is that like he is playing this big like i people came at me bitch you came into their house what, <laughs> what the, the fuck gun? are you talking about you also, started what, shooting what did you expect what you, what them you to do? do it's what it's it's just bizarre and there are just so many inconsistencies and like he has this motive that or like this like um what's this what's a good word for it this like pattern of just being like well, they came after me. I was just defending myself. I just, I the world's out to get me. No, no, Charles, fuck off. But anyways, continuing. (laughs) Carol (laughs) gave her events and basically said that she like just basically mentioned like you know like from what I read from her perspective is that like they got to this house and this Carol was fucking tired. Like they had been on the run for like forty eight hours. She didn't know if her family was okay she was dirty tired and so when they got to this house she kind of just made her way to the library and just like kind of passed out mm-hmm. and she woke up with charles standing over her with her mother's kitchen butcher knife covered in blood and charles stated that he had stabbed mr ward in the throat he then made carol clean the knife while he guarded the maid and then he had her keep watch until Mr. Ward returned home. And Carol stated that when Mr. Ward arrived home, Charles shot him several times, leaving him dead, like, near the front door. Like, he didn't, there was no conversation. Charles, like, point blank fired. Yeah. And then when they took the maid to the basement where they tied her to the bed, Carol stated that while she was looking out the window to ensure no one was coming, Charles hopped on the bed and stabbed the maid several times, killing her stating this bitch is never going to die and then charles led carol out of the house and they hopped into one of the ward's car and headed west towards wyoming and so again like this whole time it's just 
again there's two narratives so we'll just yeah. keep going because you know we could talk all day go back and forth of like what the fuck actually happened but we'll <laughs> never know but carol and charlie would be long gone by the time the bodies of the wards would be discovered and as well as lillian mm-hmm. and they would be discovered on wednesday january 29th so 1957 just in case we forget no mm-hmm. 1957 1958 excuse me it's been a year same not a year but it's been a couple months you know <laughs> and so this like the murders of the wards and their maid caused an uproar in lancaster county okay public fear was just it was through the fucking roof okay it was a fear and panic unlike anything nebraska had ever experienced because it was the fear that it could be anyone there was no pattern and it seemed the police were always one step behind and you know it was always that fear of not knowing who was next and this whole like they all thought that like charles and Carol would be making their way for state lines you know when the murders happened in bennett they were like oh they have to be getting like the hell out of dodge right yeah yeah but they they came back back to lincoln yeah committed three more murders and then like you know hit the road again so yeah this was the fear that took place was crazy so like law enforcement agencies in the region sent like all their officers to like lincoln and they were doing house to house Mm -hmm. searches um, the governor at the time, Victor Emanuel Anderson, contacted the Nebraska National Guard and Jesus did a block-by-block block search of... The, like, there was tanks. There was fucking tanks in Lincoln oh because of this. I know. I Again, why did I not know about this for so long? This, there was one of fucking tanks looking for two people. It's crazy. And so, after, like... There was, like, several sightings reported of, like, seeing Starkweather and Fugate, but... Mm-hmm. And so, like, the Lincoln Police Department was, like, accused of, like, incompetence because they were, like, how can you not capture these two? And there was, like, mm-hmm. false reports. There was even, like, vigilante gangs were formed. Like, they... Oh men were just, like, coming together, getting their guns, and, like, doing their own block-by-block searches. Like, they were, like, we'll take it into our own hands. Jesus. And so, so at that point, if you own a home, you're getting like three knocks on the door. Like, you're getting Can like, we come in. <laughs> it's like fifteen people. Police, the local man, that man you've seen one time at the bars had a gun and said your house is like, let me search. <laughs> like because evidently like one of the sheriffs like started just like forming posses by arming men he found in bars. Like it was fucking insane. Like what the <laughs> fuck was happening? This happened and like it was and it's just We'll go into a little bit later, but it was literally, like, the people heard about these murders, and then literally shit hit the fan, and immediately <laughs> National Guard called in. Beep, it shit Tanks. hit the fan quick in Lincoln. And so, around the same time the bodies of the wards were discovered, Charles and Carol had made it to Wyoming. And as they closed in on the town of Douglas, Wyoming, in the early afternoon of January 29th, which is over 532 miles from Lincoln. So in today's, like if you had today's car speed limit, it's like an eight hour drive. So they were driving all night. So they were long ahead of the police. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And of course, like over the radio, they hear that three bodies were discovered in Lincoln at the home of the wards. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Charles is on a fucking power trip at this point because there are hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the yeah. crime scene and the police are just again one step behind them like mm-hmm. he knew the but he did know like the police would soon figure out that they had taken a car from the wards and so 
Charles began to look for a new car, knowing that it was only a matter of time before a new, like, APB went out, over, yeah. out that, like, there was a new car that they need to, people need to be looking for. Mm-hmm. And that is when he saw a Buick parked along the highway. And so, and this was Highway 20, and if you're not familiar, Highway 20 is one of, like, the first original highways that goes coast to coast. It goes from yeah. Boston, Massachusetts to Newport, Oregon. So, oh, that's a little fun shit. fact for you. So. Yeah, yeah, it actually goes through Corvallis, Oregon, which is where I reside. But anyways, so <laughs> just a fast little transient fact about transportation of America for you. Um, but that afternoon, um, so January 29th, Merle Collision was sleeping in his car alongside the highway of Highway 20, just outside of Douglas City limits. He was a 34-year-old married with an infant son. He had been a paratrooper in World War II and was currently working as a traveling salesman. He had just drove down that morning from Great Falls, Montana to crawl on shoe stores in northern Wyoming, but he had to pull over and take a quick nap because he had been driving through the night. Mm-hmm. And he had been taking his nap when Charles Starkweather spotted his car. Huh. And again, Charles claims that he pulled the car over and took August Myers' gun with him mm-hmm. and approached Merle's car. He knocked on the window and told Merle they were going to switch cars. And at first, Merle told him, no, get the fuck out of my face. Charles then fired around through the glass of the window of the car. And then, obviously, as most people do, Merle's like, okay, agreed to switch cars with the couple. Charles then claims that Merle reached for his gun and a struggle began for the gun. Charles states that Carol then brought out the gun they had taken from the wards and began firing several shots at Merle. Charles would later testify that Merle was the most trigger-happy person he had ever met. But, of course, Carol's testimony differed from Charles in regard to the death of Merle. Carol claims that she sat in the car when they parked and Charles approached Merle's car, fired a shot in the window, and then shouted at her to bring over the other gun and then had her climb into Merle's Buick. And so, when, like, she claims, you know, like, that Charles shot uh, Merle, and then when they got into the car, Merle's car, which was, like, a Buick, had an emergency brake, which Charles was not familiar with, and so he could not get the brake to release in order to, like, leave. And so, while he's, like, trying to, like, get this car going, Joe Sprinkle stopped thinking that there had been an accident he was passing by he saw struggle he thought oh my god what's happening let me stop and help out and when he approached and like okay just for a little context here charles again another reason this man had a chip on his shoulder is that he was five five and the average height for american man was like five eight at the time but like um like i said charles was five five which is like another reason he had like this giant ass chip on chip on his shoulder is because like the average height was like five eight which is really not that whatever you know we love short kings so but he just decided to be a dick about it but anyways i give this context is because when joe sprinkle who was a six foot man like he was packing heat like this man was <laughs> huge and so when he approached charles and like you know said hey what the fuck is going on charles pulled out his rifle and like threatened him but charles look had run out because the six foot man just charged him and the physical altercation ensued and joe knew that if he lost this fight he would be a dead man and so like just like that 
the trapdoor fell for Charles because guess who was passing by? Sheriff William Romer. Fuck. He was yeah. out on patrol when he saw two men struggling in the middle of a road with a gun. And just then, a girl jumped out of the back of the Buick, ran towards his car, screaming that one of the men on the road was Charles Starkweather and that he had killed people and he was going to kill her. So, Charles saw the sheriff and kind of, like, you know, knew my life's run out. I ditched the rifle, got into the car that he had stolen from the wards, and sped off towards Douglas. Jesus. And so, he drove off and then a car chase ensued with Sheriff Romer, who then called... Uh, for like backup and so there was like two other officers that would join this chase that would exceed speed limits of a hundred miles per hour okay we're talking okay. 50s cars okay 100 miles an hour jesus i feel like the wheels would just fall off Dides. go also our six foot man is he's alive and well right oh yep he okay he, so and this guy like, driving the car that they tried to take is also yeah alive Merle, okay no, Merle is dead. Oh, um, fuck. I was sorry. I was going to note that a little bit later. But basically, Merle would be, he would, um, he was killed and he would be found to be shot nine times. Jesus so, again, we don't, because Charles claims that he shot him once and left. Carol sh- claims that, you know, or that he, Charles claims that Carol shot him multiple times. But mm-hmm. then Carol claims that, like, she saw Charles firing, but. Yeah. Okay. You know, but yes, Merle Collision was killed. I should have clarified that a little, clarified that a little bit better. But no, yes, okay. Merle was killed, but Joe Sprinkles kicked Charles Starkweather's ass, and then yeah, Charles Starkweather got panicked when he saw the sheriff and kind of ditched the fight because he knew he couldn't win it. And so, yeah. um, like I said, there's a chase. They're exceeding like 100 miles per hour. It's a fucking pretty intense chase. And then mm-hmm. the sheriffs and like his the backup start firing shots off at the car. I don't know if they were aiming to kill or if they were just trying to, like, pop his tires, but they were just trying to do something. Mm-hmm. And one of the bullets fired would actually shatter the windshield and glass would go flying. It would actually caught, cut, like, Charles pretty deep on, like, I think it was, like, near his face. It was on his face, like, near his ear, supposedly. Okay. And then as soon as that happened, he, like, stopped the car and surrendered and was captured near Douglas on January 29th, 1958. When he got out of the car, he would be screaming, you shot me, you fucking shot me, like, damn shit, you shot me, like, cursing up. And one of the deputies would quote, he thought he was bleeding to death. That's why he stopped. That's the kind of yellow son of a bitch he is. And so this shit was having no shit. What <laughs> like, a little like, fucking baby. He, he uh, like I said, this man there's a lot to unpack with Charles Darkweather but so he's arrested and then of course you know they reach out and they find out you know this is Charles Darkweather and of course with Carol also confirming they contact everyone's relieved that they finally caught Charles Darkweather and so he would actually while he was arrested in Wyoming so he had the decision to be extradited from Wyoming to Nebraska or stay in Wyoming and so he ended up choosing to go back to Nebraska because he kind of believed that both states were probably going to, like, execute him. I mean... Um, but, like, evidently the governor of Nebraska at the time was somewhat lenient about the death penalty. So he thought maybe he could get away with it. But he was wrong. His luck really did run the fuck out. Because... God bless. Wyoming's governor actually was, like, um, hoping to s- suspend death penalty and didn't want to use it anymore. So if he would have stayed, he might have gotten 
a little bit lenient, but he went back to Nebraska. And here, those rednecks were like, hell fucking no. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> he kind of arrived. And so uh, they arrived on like late January 1958. Both he and Carol were transported back to Nebraska for their trials. Mm-hmm. And so, again, so much of like not only what is used in court to kind of like you know a lot of this evidence is just circumstantial like we had the physical evidence they had the guns they had things like that but it wasn't like today where they could put together what happened at scenes yeah yeah like they couldn't put together scenes like we can today so it was basically just like what they had to say about what happened and then like Mm -hmm. with the evidence of like obviously they knew that he had killed people but it was like they didn't really know how what carol involvement so it's just mm-hmm. the whole thing just keep that in mind that a lot of this is just solely based on exactly the narrative i gave you guys <laughs> the story is like that's what the police got on this shit mm-hmm. and so um when charles was like first questioned and asked about things he would at first be like i kidnapped carol and she had nothing to do with the murders however he would change his story several times even claiming that she must have been the one who went back and stabbed the maid several times, that she's the one who curled Merle, Merle collision, that, he, you know, just basically that, like, she had been a willing participant. And he would testify yeah. against her in her trial, saying that she had been a participant. But okay. K- Carol would always maintain that Charles was holding her hostage by threatening to kill her family, claiming she was unaware that they were already dead. And Judge... Harry A. Spencer did not believe Fugate even a little bit. And he just did not believe that she was being held hostage by Charles Starkweather. And he determined that she had numerous opportunities to escape. And so when basically like that's what she went to trial with is like that she Mm -hmm. was an accomplice. Mm -hmm. And so when Charles was first taken to like the Nebraska penitentiary after his trial and like he'd been sentenced Mm -hmm. he said that he believed he was supposed to die but he said if he was to be executed then fugate should be also so (laughs) it's fucking crazy how shit changes he can't take no responsibility king no that's that's the moral of the fucking story is that charles darkweather couldn't take fucking goddamn responsibility for anything that he did and so he like i said he would be sentenced to death and so like i said earlier both the trials were really based on circumstantial evidence, so there's not a lot, really a lot to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really hard because both Charles and Carol obviously were pointing at each other of, like, their narratives yeah. were very different because who it was just, you know, pointing fingers and just kind of all the shit. And so, mm-hmm. kind of, and, like, as we kind of saw going through it, Charles would construct just story after story in which most of the murders were an act of self-defense or pin murders on Carol However, Carol never faltered in any of her statements that she had never killed anyone and that she truly believed that her family was being held as hostage and if she acted out, he would kill them or kill her. And so, regardless, he was convicted. The jury deliberated for only 22 hours and he was only... So, I couldn't find why this was, but he was only tried for one murder and it was the murder of Bobby Jensen. And I couldn't find out why that was the murder that they chose and like why none of the others were but like i like i said you guys if you you guys i spent so long looking into this if you look up charles starkweather right now on fucking wikipedia it's one fucking page okay motherfucker i had to dig 
okay and i told lena this earlier i wish i would have i still listen miss stanley if you are listening please turn off the podcast (laughs) but it was me your favorite library assistant i stole the charles starkweather book okay i did i did i stole it I was also I think the only person to check it out. If she is she listening, she knew the it. minute you started the story, she was like, "That bitch, dude!" I the last person to check out that book was in 1975. No, okay, and then I checked it. it out whatever year I was in high school, like probably like 20. It had been like 2015, 2016. No, it was later than that. It was like it was 20. Yeah, it was like 2016, 2017, and I stole yeah. it because I was like, I want this. And who's going to check it out after me? And I remember, because I had to do such a side note, but it's it's Julia Lore. So welcome. To, if you want to get to know me, here's what it is. And I remember, dude, I remember, because I was a library aide, you guys would have never guessed, and I was damn fucking good at my job. Miss Stanley and I got along very well. I fucking thrived in the library. I was, I got shit done, okay? Mm-hmm. And we had to do inventory, and Miss <laughs> Stanley came to me and she was like, do you know who the last person to check out the Charles Starkweather book was? And I was like, oh, me. I was like, why? What happened? She's like, it's gone. I can't seem to find it. And I was like, so weird. <laughs> she was like, yeah, it is. But she never questioned me further. So if she knew. She didn't care. She, she didn't say like, shit because. She's the first she... person since 1975. <laughs> <laughs> to, to check out this book. But anyways, the moral that coming around for why I shared that is just because this book was like all of like the news articles from this time in one book and it had Mm -hmm. i wrote a whole ass essay and it had so much information like so much that i feel like was missing from like what i was looking through like on the internet and so i i i wish i still had that book but i think it's at my parents house so ella if you're listening please go through my books and see if you can find that charles starkweather book if mom and dad are listening i bought it from the library i didn't steal it And Miss Stanley, if you're listening, don't get I'm rid sorry. Of it. I please don't. <laughs> I committed a terrible sin for that book. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. So, um, again, I wish I had that out because I don't understand why he was only tried for one murder and why it was Bobby Jensen. But if I had more time, I bet I could find out. But I was, I couldn't find any information on it. But regardless, sentenced to death, and he would be executed by electric chair. And I think he was, like, the last person in Nebraska to be executed by electric I think chair. you're right. I don't know much about Starkweather, but I think I do I think remember that. from, like, the stupid amount of many facts I had. Because, listen, guys, we'll just share a little bit. Let's we'll share a little bit. If you've been listening this long, I might as well just share it. It's getting a little loopy here, okay? But senior year of high school, we had to write two papers, research papers. We could do whatever the fuck we wanted. And my first paper, this is when I started getting... I had always been into crime, but, like, for some reason, I don't know what happened. I think I just, like, went to the true crime section, checked this book out, and I was like, how the fuck did I not know about Charles Starkweather as a fucking Nebraska native? Okay? So I read the book, did a little research, and decided I'm going to write my first research paper on this motherfucker. And the paper had to be, I think it was only had to be, like, two pages. I wrote a 20 fucking page paper and I was like, here, take this. Um, and my teacher took it and she graded it and I did fucking amazing. And then the next paper, the next paper had to be 10 pages. You guys will never guess what I did on Columbine high school shooting. And I wrote a 36 page paper. I wrote a whole goddamn novella. <laughs> it's fucking 
What there are my it? red flags if you want to fucking our know, English I guess. teacher's name? Miss <sighs> <Ms>. Johnson. Miss <laughs> Johnson was probably like, I don't... She was probably like, I don't want to read these. Like, I don't want to read a 36-page no. paper. Oh, Dude, if she hadn't have been, like, weird with me the way she was, she would have said no. Because I, I literally remember her telling that, like, she was like, if you turn in a paper that's long like this, I will not accept it. She didn't say shit to me. She read both of them, and pff, I didn't even get points fucking docked for how long it was. Also, okay. um, the last person to be killed in the electric chair was Robert Williams in 1997. Ugh. I don't, I think there, there was some, like, big significance about, like, his death or Charles Starkweather's, but I can't remember what it was. But, whatever. Doesn't matter. But, um, Charles Starkweather is buried in Wyuka Cemetery in Lincoln. As are five of his victims, including the wards. Oh. And, yeah, so kind of devastating there. And then Fugate, Carol Fugate, was convicted as an accomplice and received a life sentence for, like, first-degree murder on okay. November 21st, 1958. At that time, she was the youngest person in American history to be tried for first-degree murder. Oh, so, like, shit. At that time, she was the first... And a woman. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So, <laughs> Carol, out your son fucking records. <laughs> yeah, but, um, and again, like the debate would continue for years in regards to like her involvement in the murders. Um, but she would be paroled in June 1976 after serving 17 and a half years at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women in New York. Um, once she left, she would settle in Hillside, Michigan, changing her name. And trying to live out the rest of her days. Um, but just the last little snippet for you is that the murders carried out by Charles Starkweather would inspire the movies Natural Born Killers, mm. Badlands, and California, spelled with a K, as well as Bruce Springsteen's iconic album titled Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And there Billy Joel. With Stark, right? Or go ahead, keep going. Well, so that whole album, if you look at the album, like, um, like the song list, you could clear, like, once I say that to you, you're going to look at it and be like, yeah, shit, okay, this is about Charles Starkweather. Um, but Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire Mm. also references in one of the lines as the Starkweather homicide. Mm -hmm. And so, again, the crimes of Starkweather and possibly Carol shattered this, like, innocent era in America's heartland. And as I mentioned in the beginning... The events kind of just dropped from America's consciousness, but, like, the crimes committed, they, like, changed shit. Like, the course of crime was changed. It scarred an entire generation that had to live through that week where they didn't know who the fuck was next. And, like, Mm -hmm. again, this was not something that happened in Nebraska. Like, there was murder, but this was a, this wasn't a serial killer. This was a spree murder. A little Mm -hmm. bit of a difference there for you guys who are Mm -hmm. maybe new to this world. He was a spree killer, and this was just something that had never been heard of. And again, that's why it's so wild to me that I had never heard anything about it for so long. Well, especially if it's, like, such a big deal that they're bringing in the National Guard of tanks. That's what I mean. Also, like, it, yeah. I want to ask my... I want to ask my grandma and be like... Dude, I was just gonna be... I asked my grandmother about it because, listen... Grandma Care, she is a fucking... <laughs> badass woman okay she is she's an angry older woman but you know i love her 
and I asked her about it because she lived so my grandparents or I guess my my grandpa's passed away but my grandma and my grandpa Mm -hmm. my dad's parents lived in Valentine Nebraska which is actually Mm -hmm. very close to where they traveled through to get into Wyoming Mm -hmm. and they said that like when I talked to her about it and then I think um I talked to someone else's grandma about it in high school because I was like I really went through this phase where I just like couldn't get over that this like happened you know like Mm -hmm. kind of that surreal moment where you just like think about how like real the world is where I was like how the fuck did this happen here you know yeah and so but they talked about how like people stood in the streets to like watch him be like transported back like it was an event to like you would sell your house and like if the road like if the highway went through your town you would wait to see them pass through it was it was fucking crazy dude but yeah so that's that's my little not little that was fucking like a whole hour and a half of that's okay charles Um, stark weather i do have a question if you feel comfortable speculating do you believe that Carol, do you believe Carol's story that she didn't know her family was dead, she was really just going along for the ride, or do you believe that she played some part in it? It's hard to know just because, like, we really don't get to know that much about Carol. It only is her involvement with Charles. Like, she really does not have her own story in this, except mm-hmm. for her having to prove that she didn't have any involvement at some point. Mm-hmm. But, like, personally, I know. I think it's forgotten a lot that Carol was 14. Even if she did do it, to some degree, first off, no one should ever be able to pressure you into those kind of crimes. But there is a weird power dynamic going on there when she's 14 and he's 19. Exactly. And he's, so yeah, he's, she's 14, he's 19. And... We know that he has a reputation for being someone who is violent and, yeah. you know, starts having these dark fantasies. And yeah. I don't know. I think, I mean, the only part that kind of trips me up is that, like, I I find myself feeling like it would have been really hard to not think that your family wasn't dead in that situation. Yeah. You know, like, they're being held hostage. But I also, like, she's 14. So, like, compartmentalizing, yeah. if she had to think, okay, my family's still alive. I have to do what he wants. Yeah. She's, I, I, I truly don't think that she, I don't know. Like I said, it's, I'm not an expert. I don't know it. I don't know all the facts. I am just a researcher on this podcast, but I don't know. I don't really think that, and with like how often that Charles changes his story and pins things on people, that it's hard to not think like how much of this is actually true and how, because like. Again, I think that at first he said she had nothing to do with it, but then as soon as he felt the kind of the news tightening, then it was, what can I do to get out of this corner and, yeah. like, prove that I'm not alone in this? Because, again, it's probably feeding into that fantasy of, like, he thought he was infatuated with Carol and yeah. thought that Carol was supposed to go out with him in the blaze of glory. So, like, the idea of him getting, you know, the punishment that she didn't and that, like, yeah. I think that was a part of the dynamic of why he was, like, I have to drag her down with me. Mm-hmm. But... Again, even if, yeah, like, it just bothers me that she didn't really get, I don't think she really got a fair hearing with it, because I also yeah. think about, like, we kind of talked about this earlier, but, like, beyond a reasonable doubt, and there has to be a lot of doubt that, like, she had involvement, because there's no really way to prove that she had involvement to begin with, except for what Charles is saying. Yeah. But, yeah, and then, like, you know, like, I mean, she told her grandmother that, like, you need to leave, or, or mom's gonna die. Mom's gonna be hurt. And I hate, I 
I listen to me listen to me ladies and gentlemen I fucking hate when people are like you had some they had so many opportunities to get away they could have done this they could have done that you have no idea how you're going to react in that situation until you're in it also she's seen the way that he's how he's killing these other people she also knows how excessive he is how much he's fucking obsessed with her like i why would you and also this thought crossed my mind while you were going through it i wonder if if i was in that position and i tried to get away and i did get away for example like while he's doing shit at the warehouse yeah. i'm napping on the couch and then i like sneak out the back door he's gonna go on an even longer rampage he's just gonna go kill it's... more people no matter what but he's gonna like he's gonna be pissed off and go take it out on someone whether it's me or it, someone else yeah exactly and so like that's what i i think there's a lot of like i said i think the debate will always continue but i truly do think that um she's 14 she's mm-hmm. a young girl this is her first love mm-hmm. and you i mean the psychological toll it would have on you to be in there and like i'm sure that like she probably did convince herself that if she followed his lead that her family because no one wants to think that their family has been murdered yeah you know so she probably was doing everything in her can to like make it believe make herself believe like if i just do everything he wants everything's gonna be okay Mm -hmm. and i'm sure like you said after you start witnessing it one because this wasn't this wasn't like one murder several days passed then this was like one day after another yeah that murders were taking place and so Mm the toll that i would take on a person and like the where your brain has to go to try and process that it's not thinking about like yes there are some people who probably would have thought about like oh i can jump out here or i can leave here but like again you have we don't understand what it and okay sorry i'm going like i've sort of got like where i like i'm like so many thoughts are going through my head and i feel like i have to say every single fucking one of them but one of the other things that i thought about is that oh my god it fucking escaped me fuck damn it did it have to do with her running towards the cop? Because that's the oh, other the thing. Fuck was I yeah. Continue while I look and brainstorm here. Either she's smart for a 14-year-old to make it seem like she's a kidnapped girl. Yeah. Or she really was kidnapped and she's like, there's a fucking cop. I can get out of this. Yeah. Like, it's just, oh my god, what the what was i gonna say it's gonna bother me so much i was gonna say something that i had like thought about that i really wanted to share i don't know ladies and gentlemen if it fucking comes to me i'll comment on the post but like i really am like thinking so hard right now because there was one thing that i wanted to fucking share but what was it oh oh it came to me it came to me one of the when i was reading the book um (laughs) okay i have to focus concentrate i can't lose it again um they talked about like one of the it was a psychiat- psychologist psychiatrist who had been working at the University of Lincoln. Actually, mm-hmm. it was, like, one of the people who, like, talked to Charles, like, several times to kind of get his, like, perspective on, like, you know, just, like, try to figure out what the fuck is going yeah. on. Yeah. But the reason I mentioned him is because, one, he, this, like, psychiatrist, like, we'll never really know what was going on in his man because, like, this, this applies to Carol, too, is that, like, at that time, they didn't really, trauma was not something that people thought affected you. <laughs> Like, so I don't think that the trauma of both what Carol went through, regardless of whether she was involved or not, was taken into account, as well as, like, we'll never really know or understand, like, why Charles did what he did, because we don't know, like, how did, like, the trauma of, like, 
being bullied, bullied and things like that affect him yeah. like you can say that he was angry at the world and had his chip on his shoulder but that's just like what he decided to share yeah you know like we yeah. only know what he gave us because there's not a lot to go off of and it was during a time where like psychology like we know today was not developed and it was just yeah especially like trauma i think that was the really big piece because i remember reading that and i think i had like kind of like that thought of like fuck like you know i'm sure that the trauma of that situation wasn't really brought up when like carol was on trial and like yeah again people like to claim that she was involved in like those first murders but like i just from all the accounts that i read about like how much she cared about betty jean like this girl babies at her all the time she loved her baby sister it just doesn't make sense to me how she would turn like that or again i don't know a person i don't exactly like so i don't know exactly we you don't fully know a person yeah but just with all the evidence that we have circumstantial wise and just keeping into account that like she was such so young and there is a fucking power dynamic there Mm -hmm. and there's just so much we don't know but also so much that like also would mean that like carol could very much be the very innocent but it also means maybe she did have something to do with it but like i think going off of what we have i think it's safe to say that like i don't think my final statement is that like there is not a beyond a reasonable doubt or reason of guilt for her yeah like i don't think she could have been found guilty for first degree when there is there's no way that they could have found that without a beyond a reasonable doubt because Mm -hmm. there is so much doubt of what her involvement was Mm -hmm. but that's all i'll say so we don't really know if it's true or not but like i guess in the state in the court of in the court of the united states of america no beyond a reasonable (laughs) doubt at least for me but then I again, I didn't look at the fucking transcript, so... But then again, the time the time period, I'm sure people were yeah. like... They probably... There's no way they couldn't find a jury that wasn't biased at least a little bit. Oh, you know? yeah, no. And at that time, like you said, kind of talk about, like, people love to, like... What's the word for it? Like, hate and crucify people, like, that they think are involved. Like... We still do. Exactly. Like, I mean, like I said, that, like, if... Even if Carol... If, I think even if Charles would, like, kept his story that she wasn't involved, I think the public still would have, like, hated her, come after her, yeah. and blamed her for something. And yeah. so I think that's also really hard is to escape that narrative that, like, mm-hmm. she was pla- painted as, like, this – she was rebellious. And so I think people kind of found this, like, oh, my God, he's so bad, so she has to be just as bad as he is. Yeah. And, like – Yeah. So I think it's hard to, like, escape that when people put you in that box already to begin with so like, again another reason why i feel like the court probably like i don't feel like it was probably fully fair mm-hmm. in terms of like both what probably was presented and just like again keeping that beyond a reasonable doubt in your head because i think we'll always have doubts about her involvement but we'll also always have suspicions about her involvement so it's hard yeah. to know but if there's that little sliver of doubt you can't fucking and she's fucking 14 <laughs> so yeah, well, so, shit. That, that was Charles Starkweather. Um, I don't have much else to say. I kind of shared everything I need to. I feel like a loopy. Like, I feel like I've been doing this for like six hours. Same, <laughs> I, I, like, feel, I feel like I'm on drugs or something. I feel like, I don't know why I'm so loopy, but like, I don't know if it, it's really not that late. I mean, I guess it's probably later for you because of the time difference, but I just feel like I feel almost high right now. Like, I'm like, why the fuck does it feel like? <laughs> Are we real? Is this real? Am I in a simulation? Where the fuck am I? <laughs> okay. No, I agree. 
time to time to pop my sleeping powder <laughs> in, in, my, in my cold brew and hit the sack. But um, like I said, we'll we'll uh, hopefully be here next month, and then we, maybe we'll do another um, homeland a tribute to the homeland. Um, we'll, we can we'll keep you guys posted. You know, follow us on Instagram. Yeah, should we close and, this shit out? Yeah, just thanks for listening. If you listen to the whole thing through, congratulations. I thank you for sticking it out. But if you've listened to it in breaks, again, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, follow us on Instagram. If you know someone who likes crime, share it with them. If you we have are... any cases that you would like to hear, if you have anyone yeah, that you're, anything that you're interested in, comment go or ahead. message us comment. on Instagram. Our Instagram is yes. does the cat die? No spaces, yes. no nothing nothing um yeah let us know what you want to hear yeah we're always open to suggestions 